castle, an undiscovered creature climbing on the mountainside. Welcome everyone to April 5th, 1992 in the Legacy Series. It is the Hoosier Dome. It is Indianapolis, Indiana. It is WrestleMania 8. We step into a world that coincided with my initial fandom. We step into an arena, a feeling, an event that kind of feels like home. In just a little bit, I'd like to ask Ms. Fan, and I'd like to ask you at home, what makes a WrestleMania peak WrestleMania for you? What is it that you need? Is it matches? Is it a feeling? Is it an arena? Is it a context, a theme? Is it certain wrestlers, certain angles? What makes WrestleMania live up to WrestleMania? And does WrestleMania 8 do so? Ladies and gentlemen, I am the Mystic PhD, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, by God, my learned colleague, he is Mr. Ms. Fan, the Brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans, and whatever it is that makes a WrestleMania for you, maybe you will find it today because we are talking, of course, about WrestleMania 8, as the man said in the Hoosier Dome. Uh, despite any falling off the WWF might have had, here they got 62,000 people gathered in one place to watch Randy Savage fight Ric Flair, to watch Undertaker fight Jake Roberts, Brett and Roddy Piper, Shawn Michaels making his singles debut, and of course, the match that nobody asked for in the main event, Hulk Hogan versus Sid Justice. So we got it all coming to you today. It is very exciting. We are going to talk about WrestleManias at large, it seems. I am hearing of this for the first time, so it's very exciting. Yeah, let's let's dive right into it, my friend. Absolutely. And to be fair, I have not allowed myself to think about it because I knew you would not have thought about it. <laughs> you know, I just got curious because there are times that I'm watching this and I think this is as WrestleMania as WrestleMania can be. It couldn't be any better for me on a personal level. And then there's like half the card where I'm like, this is not even good, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so oh, maybe yeah. it's different per WrestleMania. Like, are there certain ingredients that you think you need overall? Or do you need the, the WrestleMania itself independently to come together in a certain way? Oh, man. I mean, I think it's hard to say. It's probably different for everyone. Um, part of me says WrestleMania uh, is a dangerous myth that has uh, allowed a certain promotion that hosts WrestleMania to sort of forget about a lot of other important things. Um, so there's a danger to WrestleMania as well. But uh, just putting that aside and thinking personally, um, the best WrestleManias are the ones which build up the matches, which feel like they can only take place at the biggest show of the year. You're talking about your Hogan Andres that we love so much. You're talking about, I don't know, just different ones through the years. My first WrestleMania was WrestleMania 20, and I still love that show despite the fact that it is... Um, bloated it's got a lot of filler matches on it but so many of the matches have this excellent build that reaches back months in many cases and have all these twists and turns and it just felt like a climax of these stories and i don't know maybe because it's my first wrestlemania or just fits the kind of fan i am but that that is what i want the most like you could have a card 
of all the greatest matches of all time. It would be, you know, I would watch it probably. I would be enjoying it. But man, if they don't have those great stories behind them, it's just not going to be the same for me. Yeah, there's something in that drive. Like, you need a personal narrative that is peaking at the right time. When I think about WrestleMania 20, if I'm thinking correctly. That's Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit ending the show together. Is that correct? correct. You got it. Yeah, and to me, if they ever maxed out, and it's not to say they couldn't do more because Eddie Guerrero went on to be this ridiculous SmackDown star. Chris Benoit was always Chris Benoit. But, like, there was a feeling that you maxed them out at the end of that show for where they were. And that's what I mean. Like, it doesn't always have to be the same theme, but there needs to be a driver. And I would argue that WrestleMania 8 is a triple main event, not a double main event, because our one ends with Bret Hart and Roddy Piper. And that one, to me, is maxed out. Like, they took that feud as far as it could go. You have a big question mark about is Roddy Piper right? Is Bret Hart right? What's going on here? Uh, Randy Savage and Ric Flair, they max that out. We are at the point, and we'll get into it, that Ric Flair is going to release personal pictures on the big screen of Elizabeth. Like, I remember as a child that that literally hanging over the event and thinking about, like, there's this great bet that Ric Flair is making Um can I provoke Randy Savage to the point that it's not about a title anymore? Or am I going to provoke him so much that he's going to beat me up and take my title? You know, and even Hogan and Sid, I, I, don't, I know you're not going to go there because why would you? Because you don't like Sid and you don't like Hulk Hogan and it's not the best match in the world. But I think that if Hogan and Sid was in the middle of the card and Savage and Flair ended the card, that would help a lot in uh, making this event even better for me. I mean, I think that's indisputable because, unfortunately, you can't watch all of WrestleMania 8, which, weirdly, it's a show that I think is more than the sum of its parts because, as you said, you can watch about half the card and think this is about the worst I ever saw, but the good stuff seems to elevate it when you watch the whole thing, and yet, if you watch it all, you will be forced to have the uh, the bad taste in your mouth at the end because not only... Is Hogan versus Sid, as you said generously, not the best match ever. Uh, it also has some truly nightmarish implications at the end with just botches, bad timings, uh, returns, a message about the future of this year of the WWF that nobody wants to hear. So we will talk about all of that. But man, there's some wonderful stuff on here as well. You know, if you just stopped watching after Savage versus Ric Flair. I don't think you'd miss a whole lot. You'd probably like, oh, that was a good WrestleMania. A bit short, but very good, you know, overall. So take that for what you will. I think that's the only thing that dings this from being uh, what I want it to be, is that mm. between the double main events, there are on, there are matches. I don't think there's consequence of any of these matches. Like, they're hard to sit through. They don't matter. They're not given. Like, everything I said about the three main events, like, they don't do any of that, and I don't know... We'll talk about that when we get there, but uh, even the first half of the card is different than the second half. So it's just, if you don't have enough, I don't know why you got to do that. But <laughs> if I could take that away, then this would be one of my favorite WrestleManias. Sure, yeah. I mean, I feel the same about WrestleMania 20. And this is supposed to have been your first WrestleMania as well, so maybe it's natural to feel that way. But, uh, 
yeah, it's stuff when you got a show and you love it, you still love it, and you look at it and you know, wow, this really could have been better. But um, you know what? We're still going to love the things we love. We're going to cherish the good stuff, and uh, it's going to be a good time. One thing we talked a lot about a lot in WCW is we are both a sucker for a good set, a good arena, a good place. Yeah. And I am a massive fan of outdoor arenas, and this is the next best thing to outdoors because half the time I always thought it was outdoors. Mm, yep, lots of lots of upward-facing camera shots. You can see that beautiful dome up there lit up by the sunlight and the sky, and uh, that doesn't look like any other arena that you could think of, uh, or very few anyway. So, yeah, it's a beautiful place to, to have a show. I, I love this venue. Yeah, so if you're listening to this, let us know on Twitter or in the forums what makes WrestleMania WrestleMania for you. And even when I say that, WrestleMania doesn't have to be the event WrestleMania, but what makes that peak pay-per-view? Like, what is it that you need? And I'm not just talking about objectively, like, oh, I need a five-star match or I need this feud to do this thing. I'm talking about on a personal level, the kind of event that you want to come back to and almost go to the arena and live in that place and not leave it. What makes that feeling for you? Yeah, yeah, I would love to hear that as well. Okay, we're going to get into it, and I think what we know in hindsight also, and I haven't even thought about this in my notes, but as I look down and see that Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan are on the call, Mm. we are with some of these people for almost the last time. We are. For as great as the uh, Heenan and Monsoon... Uh, commentary team is, you know, for all the years they were together. This this is the second and last WrestleMania, I think, that they will call side by side. Because next year we'll have Savage in there, and I don't remember if it's Monsoon or, or Vince. Um, it's Jim Ross. Uh, Jim Ross, yeah, you're right. So it'll be Ross, Keenan, and Savage. No Monsoon uh, next year, so that'll be sad. Um, and after that, Bobby will be gone, so, yeah. you know. It, 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 it's a shame, you know, this is this wonderful team. And, yeah, you're right. They, we're going to lose a lot of good people uh, before all is said and done here. Yeah, for better and worse, we're going to lose about half of the, the folks on this roster. Yeah, yeah, quite a lot. Okay, so we're going to get into it. Like I said, like Ms. Fenn has said, great arena, great vibe, great pan over shots. Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan are on the call when we're introduced to them, Bobby Heenan is looking around. This girl is talking. He says, what are you looking for? And he says, pinups that Ric Flair promised to put on the big screen. So, again, we get that foreboding, that threat at the very beginning of the episode because we are deep in the pocket of the best feuds on this uh, episode. Absolutely. And just like at uh, the Royal Rumble, Bobby Heenan is showing his commitment. He is uh, living and dying with all these things promised by Ric Flair. So, very good stuff. And I just got to say, you know, not for nothing, because they're two different guys, even if uh, one tried to imitate the other. But it's a lot easier to watch Bobby Heenan kind of softly uh, be horny here than it is to think about what Jerry Lawler is going to do in the booth in just a couple years. <laughs> okay, fair enough. And I, I think I agree with that, but I also thought you were going to say Gene Erkeland. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Maybe it's best that Oakland and Lawler were never together on screen yeah, that I know that of. That would have been a lot. So. Yeah, my girlfriend still calls Gene Erkland Uncle Gene because she's only seen him once and said that he was like a creepy uncle. That's about right. Yeah, you got yeah. it. I love and she, didn't, she didn't even see him with Fifi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So we got Reba McIntyre singing the national anthem. Bobby Heenan thinks that is Tito's sister or Reba McIntyre, but uh, Gorilla Monsoon will set him straight immediately. 
many great uh, Keenan and Monsoon exchanges in the show. It's wonderful stuff. Yeah. I grew up in the South. My older brother loved country music. So I think by the time we left the church, at least the first time, the only two things we had been introduced to was wrestling and country music. So, again, it just feels like there's been times in my life where whatever I was into – I found that all in the same place. And then there's been times in my life that I can't find anything that I'm interested anywhere under the sun. So it's been a tale of two lives. Oh, wow. Um, man, coming out of, of the church, I got to say, you know, they're basically promising to show a naked woman on this show, you know. So how, how did that go over with you as a young churchgoer? I think, like I said, for me, it was I was more, I think, in the storyline of the threat because I was very young still. Mm. So, like, I took everything literally, too. So, you know, if they said they were going to do it, then all of a sudden in the middle of the match, like, those images were just going to fall down from the screen. And then, like, Randy, what the hell is Randy Savage? Like, I think Randy Savage will leave the ring, climb the walls, and start removing them. So, <laughs> you know, I think I was just living inside the the fears and rage of Randy Savage, not even because I wanted to, but just because it was so prevalent in the feud. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. I, I feel like I did that too when I first started watching. I sort of, um, just whatever they said, I was like, oh, they're going to have to like deliver on that, which mm -hmm. we know is not, not true in wrestling, but it's funny when you're first watching or when you're young, maybe you think so. And that, that, that creates an extra layer to it. Yeah. Cause you don't yet know, like one of the great heels, Figures of a heel is the one who doesn't deliver on anything that they promise, <laughs> you know, but you think especially at the top, because all you know is evil. It could be the Bible or it could be TV or it could be literature, whatever you grew up on. A lot of the top, top villains have done really, really awful things. So like the assumption is in the main title match, the bad guy who makes a claim is at least going to in some way follow up on it. Indeed, and we're too young to know also that uh, wrestling promoters like to promise things that they have no intention of giving us, so. <laughs> yeah, it's the fun thing about having a podcast and living long enough to talk about a strange, your strange life, because mm. I would take nothing in this world over heels like Bobby Heenan and Ric Flair, who often don't follow up. Sure. But at the time, I think if you try to sit me down and be like, now you understand the storyline is in part that like the bad guys don't actually do anything that they say that they're going to do. I, w I would just be like, turn the TV off, you know, <laughs> like, why am I watching this? <laughs> right. Right. You could definitely uh, see it both ways. And man, there are times in wrestling where no one would have to sit you down and tell you that you would just be like, Oh, well, you know, I kind of figured that out by watching yeah. for five seconds. But um, yeah, in this time, in this place, it's all good. And of course you have to imagine because later they're going to come out and basically say, oh, these photos were fake, like they were they were photoshopped or whatever the equivalent was. Like they'll show the originals where it's Randy Savage with Liz and not Flair, who was like kind of airbrushed in to replace him. Um, so surely they don't actually have this photo that they're talking about. So, you know, it's a lie. It's a distraction. So there's some continuity there. Yeah. And it's a great, great um, approach because. You know good and well what Ric Flair is trying to do. Like, I, I think I said it on the last episode, you know, before they started talking about it explicitly, is that he just, he doesn't care. He could leave, like, Flair can go to the hospital. He could be out for three weeks, but as long as he keeps the belt, as long as Savage is a DQ or Savage forgets. So, like, that's also that great chess that you couldn't explain maybe to a child first watching, but is so good is that 
when a man is making a threat that you know is probably an empty threat, and yet he still pushes you over the line with it. Mm, yeah, yeah, great stuff. It's a great mind games, and again, it's it's one of the best in the NWA meeting, one of the best in the WWF when it comes to psychology, and it's one of these pleasures. I'm more and more happy we did not get Hulk Hogan and Alric Flair, like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, I mean, this is a better feud. It's certainly a better match than that would have been. So, you know, business concerns aside, uh, I will certainly always be happy on a personal level, even if I continue to be mystified at everything here. Um, I'll say one last comment about the uh, promised pictures. Uh, I'm just glad your parents were inattentive enough not to notice this, because knowing my childhood, it's the kind of thing that would have gotten me banned, I think, from watching wrestling entirely to hear him talking about some of this stuff. Yeah, um, I definitely went through this later because when the Attitude Era came on, and I think we were getting right back, we were getting back in church. Uh, I think in '97. So, um, <laughs> oh, terrible timing. <laughs> yeah, that was that crossover didn't work so well. But I think they didn't watch because at this time, you know, when you set them, you set us down on Saturday morning. It, you, if they came in the room, they probably saw Sergeant Slaughter or Hacksaw yelling about right. something. You know, it was very. You wouldn't think that this was in the same show, and also, we could not order. We didn't. We weren't allowed to order pay per views until much later. Like, uh, of course. Originally, my mom said that you know, um, our area didn't carry pay per views, which was a great way to shut us down for maybe five years. But then, uh, Luger jumped to WCW, and that, and we uh, broke through that wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. What's the first one you ordered? I should know, but I don't. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I think the first one was Fall Brawl, nineteen ninety five. Exciting stuff. All right, so, cool, cool. Oh man, somehow maybe we'll get we'll get to it in time. There's, there, perhaps there was an in your house because I feel like I saw Shawn Michaels and Jeff Jarrett as well. So okay, all right, fair enough. Okay, so this is good stuff. We're gonna start with El Matador Tito Santana going one on Tito Santana going one on one with Shawn Michaels. Um, this is interesting in a lot of ways because you got Shawn Michaels trying to figure out how to be a singles wrestler, and you got Tito trying to work uh, this gimmick that he all of a sudden has been saddled with. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's interesting. Um, I will say that uh, Shawn Michaels comes out with Sherry, of course, and we get the, in my opinion, superior version of the theme song with Sherry singing it. And uh, I don't know, I just uh, there's something about that version that I really enjoy. <laughs> Yeah, I think no matter which one you enjoyed the most, it needed that one as its foundation because it's a different kind. Like we said, there's different kind of heels, but I think part of Shawn Michaels being a heel is that he might eventually sing his own song about himself. But <laughs> I think in the beginning, like someone else singing about like what what greater heel can there be than the one that you want to say? You want to point at him and say that you are nothing but your own self-opinion. And then there's someone walking behind him, echoing everything he says about himself. <laughs> it is great. And uh, I have to love Sherry's commitment to the role, as yes. always, something she was amazing at. She's basically, um, you've seen uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yes. You know, he goes to Toontown and Bob Hoskins <laughs> is chased by the woman who looks like Jessica Rabbit, but is actually kind of like a, a homely, like, love-crazed maniac. That That's kind of Sherry right here. That is so good. I don't know where you'll how you'll feel about this, but I feel like in this in this sequence, she was best with Savage, and Savage was best with her. And then I'll go Sean Sherry, and I thought the one that maybe we just didn't see the right stuff, but the DiBiase Sherry one, I didn't feel like they brought out the best in each other like the other two. 
Yeah, I mean, I watched through a lot of this era, and unfortunately, there's just not a lot to see. Like, they had the Dusty Feud, which which was good. I enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, besides that, there wasn't really much going on. Uh, so I think I would rank the same as you. Um, and then uh, later, she'll be with Jeanette for a minute, and I'll put that forth comfortably. Yeah. So. <laughs> She's never with her. even even I think next year when they wrestle she's in nobody's corner. Oh uh, yeah, that'll be a whole thing. Yep, one year from today you got it. Man. Or no, wait, we're not at the Rumble. Yeah, so a little farther on. So. Okay, so this one, um, they do a lot of spoilers at this time. WWF in some ways, the things I hated about WWF, I think were always there. I just didn't see them because there's so much I like. But like, <laughs> I don't need Gorilla Monsoon saying. Before the match, that Shawn Michaels has already challenged the winner of the IC title match. <laughs> yeah, bit of a um, bit of a giveaway there for sure. I I think you're right. You know, when you're a new fan or you're younger, you know, you don't see these things, or if you do, you you don't interpret them the same way. It's just what you said before. Like at a certain time, you're like, oh man, he could really throw those pictures down. And then, like, later on, you kind of know the cues, you know the language, and, yeah, you sort of understand what's going to happen before it happens. So we can get into the nitty-gritty of this matchup, but one thing that I noted is that I think in Sean's early run, and maybe even the first half of his career, there's a lot of struggle between how much am I the wrestler and how much am I the personality. Mm. I can see that. I think on a previous show, I sort of uh, dismissed this idea that Sean, like, turned and then he had to, like, figure out his whole life again from scratch, like, all of his ability. Uh, I sort of dismissed that. I think when you watch this match, you can see where that idea comes from. I think you alluded to it as well, because when you see this on paper, like, you think this could be a great match. And it's a fun match. Like, it's a fine match. It's better than uh, a lot of things you'll see on the card. But it's not really maybe the potential of what you'd think. So maybe there is an element of that. Maybe he really is trying to work out some things here. I I can accept that there's some truth to that idea. Yeah, I will say two things. Uh, One, because we try to be in the moment and not just repeating narratives. On this day, even though I enjoyed Sean, I enjoyed Tito, I definitely see Ricky Steamboat as the superior to Tito, if I'm judging by this matchup. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I definitely can see both sides. Like, I don't know if Tito is the same guy. I don't know how much is a gimmick. Also, he's not, he's not the same physically. Like when Tito and Marty are Tito and Marty, my God, Tito and Rick Martel were together. They shocked me how big they were and yet how fast and explosive they were. Mm. And I don't know that he is all of that anymore. And like I said, I don't know how much is a gimmick, but he feels like, he feels more contained than he used to feel. Yeah. I don't know. Some of it maybe is time. Um, some of it could purely be disappointment because we talked about, like, he did this matter of gimmick. He did a lot of work for it. You know, he really went to, um, I don't know if it was to Mexico or what, but he really did this bullfighting stuff. Yeah. Thought he would get a push, came back, and he's really at the same place he was before, you know, if not maybe a notch lower. So, if not, not slower, yeah. Yeah, really. I mean, you do all this work, and they're like, all right, well, okay, you're just going to do another job at WrestleMania, you know, in the opener to put over someone we're actually interested in. So, I don't know. Tito worked so hard for a lot of years, um, but at some point, maybe you get discouraged, or maybe you just, uh, it's a lot of work to try so hard like Tito does. So, I don't blame him if he was uh, taking it easy a little bit here. Yeah, and I, as, as soon as I uh, temporarily give the nod to uh, Ricky Steamboat, I think, how much did we talk about the dragon in that run, you know? 
<laughs> yeah, true enough. You know, when you're, it's hard when you're discouraged, like in life, like you don't try as hard, and that's that's probably true for any number of wrestlers that you can think of. And why shouldn't it be? You know, because what they do is probably a lot harder than what you do. So, mm-hmm. you know, you got to give a little leeway, I think. Yeah, it blows my mind that I would have thought uh, Ricky Steamboat was past his prime as the Dragon, and he is about uh, to go to WCW and do some of the greatest contribution to wrestling history that will ever be done. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it makes you wonder again what Tito might have done if he had uh, jumped over there. But, yeah, I mean, at the time of this, I think 39 years old, and, um, you know, nowadays it's not as easy. you can go over 40 and be uh-huh. in good shape, but you better have had like the good surgeries and like the stem cells in your knees and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So nobody lasts forever, unfortunately. Yeah. And so you got Sean who, you know, another thing that I talked about last time, I think, is that Scott Hall, you know, said that I think Sean Michaels did not want to be a great wrestler because he saw that like as a baby face thing, like he wanted to punch and brawl and do, because you know, how do you be a heel? You got to like wrestle a certain way. And like Scott Hall told him you're a heel because of your personality, because of the way you carry yourself. Mm-hmm. But when you get in the ring, you know, wrestle to the, to the best of your ability and don't just kick and punch. Well, that, that brings you here. There's no Scott Hall to give him that advice yet. And, uh, I don't know about you, but, like, this is a big headlock match, and yes. uh, that's not necessarily bad. I've seen some really good headlock matches, but in this, it was more like, I don't know, that mindset of what you're saying kind of sounds right. It's like, oh, I better use some headlocks to, like, irritate the crowd, and, yeah. well, okay, I was a little irritated, so good job. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I got to know, Michael tosses a running Tito over the top to break headlock mania. Yeah, yeah, a lot of headlock. It's a nice spot, though. You know, I, I'm not yeah. against it, but uh, still, just very heavy on the headlock. We have to remember that Sean is so early in his run that uh, in the last two pay-per-views, according to Gorilla Monsoon, he has hit the reverse crescent kick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, the reverse crescent kick. Yes, yeah, soon we'll have the savat kick that everyone yeah. will be doing. So those those great. <laughs> you learn one kind of kick, and you just uh, that's the kick that everyone's got. So absolutely, it's a you know it kicks off the show. There's gonna be better. Sean's already had a better show opener. I think it's SummerSlam uh, with Mario Janetti versus uh, Power and Glory. So mm. in some ways, you gotta respect it because there's so much natural talent. I think to Shawn Michaels that you might want to say sometimes, well. Oh, it was just easier. It was just inborn. But you're also going to see the other side of it where it's going to take some growth and time. Sure, yeah. And, I mean, it's it's an enjoyable match. It's probably, you know, once you get past the top stuff, it's probably one of the better things on the card. So I'll, I'll give credit where credit is due, of course. Mm. Oh, yeah. If you look at the second half of the card uh, between the two double main events, it might be the greatest match of all time. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's your point of comparison. You know, this... I think of WrestleMania 8 as, like, a good show, but this is probably the third best match on here after the two big ones. And I don't know what that says, because I'm not, like, raving about this match or anything. So, I don't know. It's a weird show. Do you think it's show. better than Jake Undertaker? Uh, Jake Undertaker is probably more interesting, but kind of for reasons that are not, like, in the mm. ring, you know. Undertaker-Jake is so short. We're going to talk about it in a minute. And it's very basic, so I love the story about it. But I think this is a better match for, like, the physicality. Like, if you just came and watched it cold, you would definitely think this match was better, I think. Yeah. And Tito has some of that running momentum. Like, the, the Tito's career could be defined by he hits his finisher, but with so much momentum, he knocks the opponent out of the ring. 
Oh, unfortunate. Also, he looked good doing that kind of like back of the neck tap here. Yes. I think it's not as good as his flying forearm, but he really hit it with some gusto here. So I'll give credit for that as well. Yeah, and we, we, we haven't mentioned much that if Mr. Perfect's out, I think Shawn Michaels is inheriting the bumping uh, cape for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. For for a long time, probably. <laughs> he's he's quite yeah. a bumper. You know, he's he's in that same school at times, so I appreciate that. I tire of endings, though, where you know the heel's going to win, but you want to save the baby face, but it doesn't really. So, like, Tito's going to try to slam Shawn Michaels into the ring, but Michaels didn't grab the rope. Sherry's probably going to hold a leg, you know. Like, you've seen it, um, maybe uh, sequence for sequence already in other matches and other feuds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is just the Rick Rude um, Ultimate yeah. Warrior finish, Warrior. basically. But I have bad news for you, Mystic. <laughs> these Uh-oh. these finishes are what wrestling is built on. We will be seeing them countless times in every era, I think. So we'll we'll see what happens. But that is my uh, thought and my warning. I, I think I get it with the Warrior because you're trying to preserve him. Like, you're not trying to preserve Tito. And it's, I think it's, it might be more insulting that you pretend like you are. <laughs> yeah, you have something there. He's on a, a different level. They probably could have just given the clean win, but you know, here and in many eras, it's pretty much the the golden rule. Like the heel can't get the clean win ever. You know, you need to. If it was if the, the the greatest heel on earth against your babyface jobber, he would probably still have to pull the tights or something. So it it just is what it is. Absolutely. So Michaels gets the win. Uh, one thing he's already great at, Sherry's always been great at, is I think they agitate the fans just by existing. <laughs> yeah, no, they are great together. It's unfortunate that this will not last longer. You know, as we said, less than a year later, it's going to be gone already. So that is a shame. But uh, yeah, I just love, like, the poses they strike. And, like, he will, like, throw her down on the ground. And she'll, like, yeah. writhe around and make these poses. And, man, it's just uh, it's something to see. You know, you have to appreciate it. I think starting to watch wrestling in my context that you mentioned earlier, I think just the idea of sexuality when you have only been in church and you're a young kid, somehow the Liz images, like I said, was more threat of what in the world was going to happen in that time. But Sherry and Sean behaving like that, (laughs) like it's hard to see that as something other than what it was. <laughs> you know, oh, so sure. I, I would think I would have more, be more mystified, let's say, by that. <laughs> it's always interesting when you come up in a um, more conservative, maybe religious families. Yeah. I did as well, although I think uh, of a different flavor than yours. But still, I mean, I was probably what fifteen, maybe, when I really started watching. Um, you know, like properly. And I remember I had my sister, like, trying to tell on me, like, oh, these ladies aren't wearing enough clothes. I'm like, <laughs> that could have been it right there. So I guess I was yeah. just glad that uh, somehow it continued. So that's good stuff. I want to say, yeah, with your many, many great contributions to uh, LOP forums and other places, we are all uh, glad that your sister did not win that war. <laughs> Uh, I understand her concern. I acknowledge it, but you know what? It's just how it is. That's how the world is. We didn't know, but we were going to learn eventually. So, yeah, I I don't know what would, I I honestly believe if the first time we had watched it been like five years later than we did, it would have been stopped a month in. So, (laughs) 
I mean, yeah, you're talking to a guy. Our, our whole family got thrown off Cartoon Network once because they were making, like, sassy comments too much, basically. Nice. So <laughs> you never knew what could happen in my household for what you were watching. That is wild, man. So you somehow wrestling made its way through the Cartoon Network. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, different times would probably help. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, like, it, it could have happened, you know. So we're lucky I'm here today. Yes, sir. All right, so there's two fun things after the match. One is some monster with some mystical powers in the crowd has a bring back the warrior sign. So, oh, wow. You know, <laughs> great night for that person. And then Bobby Heenan says about Shawn Michaels as he's leaving, someday he'll be wearing the gold representing the WWF. Yeah, yeah. Bobby Heenan always seems like he had a good eye for talent. You know, he's very high on Shawn Michaels, I think. Um we talked before about how high he was on Goldberg and just like, I don't know, yep. he's got he's got uh, some ability to, to pick out talent. I mean, I'm sure it's no coincidence that he's the guy who became synonymous with Hulk Hogan, you know, back in the day. I, I bet he recognized a lot there as well. So, yeah, listen to Bobby Heenan, as always. Man, I will say this. Um, one of the highlights of my week, uh, Hannibal just did a uh, shoot interview with uh, Reverend Slick. And, like, that is one of the most warm and socially intelligent people. Like, he, mm-hmm. there's a, barely anybody I think he ever had beef with. Like, people, he, he found a way to like and be liked. But he said that Vince McMahon already loved him when he came in because he could entertain, like, in his promos. But Vince was watching him do a, do a promo, and one of the first people that – kind of protected Slick and went to bat for Slick was Bobby Heenan. Mm-hmm. And Vince McMahon watched Slick do a promo, and he liked it. And then Bobby Heenan called him over and told him, like, you're doing a really good job, but you, I think you're starting low and you're ending high. What you want to do is start high, dip a little bit, and end high. And then Slick walked right back over and did exactly what Bobby Heenan said, and Vince McMahon just lost his mind. <laughs> oh, that's – what a beautiful story. I love that. Yeah. He didn't like so top tier in this era. And the fact they had uh, that kind of relationship, that kind of friendship is wonderful. And it makes me all the more sad that we are already done with Slick the heel and we only have kind of Slick the lame baby face. But still, that's yeah. cool. Great story. I love hearing uh, about, you know, he, he is emotionally intelligent. He's a good person all that. It's nice to hear. You know, you appreciate that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I've never been like I'm the opposite of that. And I think if I know more people like Slick, because you see the behavior, it's very extroverted and you think, oh, they just love everybody. But beneath that, and Slick kind of breaks it down, it's like everything in the world operates through people. And so you got to be able to work people. You know, you got to be able to figure out what they're doing, how to respond to it. And I don't know, it just showed an intelligence that when, as an introvert, when I see extroverted people, sometimes I'm very dis- dismissive of like, oh, they just have an inborn ability to be like that. <laughs> and some of that's true, but it's also like I could stand to learn some social intelligence at times, you know. And I didn't expect to get that out of a wrestling interview, but man, the way he managed people back, what managers were like, it's just interesting. He he broke down his relationship with a. He had a great relationship with um, Akeem. He had a great relationship with uh, who else did he manage back then? Oh, Bossman. Yeah, Bossman. 
Uh, he loved Butch Reed, but Butch Reed was the hardest one to manage because Butch Reed kind of did what Butch Reed wanted to do. So uh, that was fun. And then sad, and I, then we'll get back to WrestleMania. But he said that he lost his phone, and Butch Reed always had new phone numbers. So I think he went two and a half years without talking to Butch Reed. And then the guy uh, doing the interview, Hannibal, had interviewed Butch Reed. So Slick reached out to Hannibal and got the phone number, and they talked – for two and a half hours when they reconnected oh. and they totally well, worried about the health of another wrestler. And then two weeks later, Butch Reed was dead. Wow. So, you know, even those relationships, like you are the manager, the keeper, the protector, the carry the bag, figure out what they need. And then 20 years later, you're taking care of the needs of another human being. Like how many of these people work together and probably never spoke to each other again or got into a feud and blasted each other on social media. Mm. Like he still has hour long conversations, two hour long conversations with almost everybody that he managed. And I don't know, there's something about that. It's the way you want to feel about wrestling. Then you find out it's not really like that. And then you hear it's, sometimes it's like that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking that it's so often you, you don't even want to hear these, um, you know, real life stories after a while, because so many of them are, are kind of ugly. But yeah, you hear something like that. And that's beautiful. That's wonderful. I love to hear that. Thank you for sharing that story. Man, no problem. It was a great joy. Um, we don't have slick like uh, Ms. Fan said. He's a baby face now. He's going to be gone soon. So I wanted to throw a little bit out there. Uh, he's one of the best we've covered. So yeah, all all respect to him. <laughs> I don't know what to say about the manager and what we're going to see next, but we get a long segment with Gene Arkeland and the LOD on the platform at WrestleMania. Indeed, yes, and uh, Paul Ellering is now there, and I don't really have much to say about this promo because it's kind of what you'd expect, and like you said, it's kind of it just kind of goes on, but it's nothing really important or interesting exactly. Um, Paul Ellering, like, I don't know if I really get Paul Ellering. Like, I understand he was significant, and he kind of, like, managed the Legion of Doom for real. Like, he, he sort of, like, handled a lot of their stuff. So credit to him. Obviously, um, you know, was very successful in that regard. But as an on-screen character, I don't know if I just haven't seen the right stuff or anything, but he just kind of seems there. Like, he's not particularly memorable. He doesn't really... Like, the Legion of Doom don't really need him to speak for them. Like, their own promos are fine. And, yeah, I, I don't know. So, like, maybe Benny or somebody could turn me on to, to like, the greatness of Paul Ellering. Or maybe maybe he just is what I think he is. Yeah, he was before my time. So I will uh, extend the same caveat that you are. But I will say that his promos do nothing for me. I don't understand him, especially as a babyface. He did not know how to read the room. The promo just went on and on, and he just bragged about himself, even though I don't think half the people really knew or cared what the connection <laughs> was. So um, I don't see him as necessary. I don't see this promo as necessary. I thought when we get to the tag titles, I was, um, you're going to see maybe Money Incorporated try to walk out. And I was like, oh, we hit the promo because they're going to come and chase them back to the ring. But no, I don't know why we hit the promo, and it went on a very long time. I just, they're not even on the card, are they? No. 
Oh, wow. I actually didn't even, I never put that together watching this, but I'll, okay, I guess they, man, how can you have a WrestleMania? You, some of these losers they have on this card, yeah. you don't even put the Road Warriors on. That's just stupid. So there's a point against WrestleMania 8, I guess. Yeah. Especially you're going to have an eight man tag, I think, with Sergeant Slaughter and Hacksaw, but. Yeah, Jesus. Jesus. All right. <laughs> Uh, better things, um, we're told earlier on, Sean Mooney talked to Jake the Snake Roberts. Indeed, yes, we see Sean Mooney talking to Jake backstage about a rumor. Oh, Jake, you're going to bring a snake to the ring. Pfft, like, that's the only thing he does. Jake says, oh, senile old Jack Tunney banned them, so it's just a rumor. I'm the smartest man, and the smartest man will come out the winner. And uh, he's very dismissive of uh, Undertaker, kind of dragging that casket, trying to get him. Um, <laughs> he calls it simple foreplay, which reinforces my idea that every Jake Roberts feud is actually a sex game. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, now he's with, like, uh, dead bodies in his play, so uh, there's nowhere for him to go at WCW after this. Oh, boy. He's got to get that wheel and make that deal. Oh, man. What a shame. Oh, what a shame. I do feel like if everything he does is sexual, then uh, Sting was the perfect opponent for him because I feel like Sting would be super responsive because all he is is, I think, embodied reactions. <laughs> oh, that innocent little face-pointed boy. Oh, my yes. gosh. Or maybe not because we know what he wanted the little Stingers to see when Medusa came out. So, I yeah. don't know. <laughs> oh, Sting. Okay, so I'm excited for this. You know, it's a little bit different because – uh, Jake Roberts was wondering a week or two ago if The Undertaker was on the other side of the river, and I think uh, The Undertaker is officially on the other side of the river. Yeah, River Sticks. He's on the other side now, so that's good stuff. Yeah, and the fan, the fan, I mentioned the other day that it's not always booing or cheering, but the fans are now cheering The Undertaker. He's legitimate, the baby face. Jake Roberts is the heel, and they're going to clash. And again, I'll say it again. I said it the last episode. I think that if Jake Roberts had to leave, like there's something inherited and right about uh, it being uh, through this upcoming Undertaker character. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I just still think it's a crying shame that he did have to leave. Yes. Um, but we know the backstage things uh, allegedly was promised like kind of a top creative role. Uh, but that sort of got taken away. And, um, you know, of course, Jake had uh, any number of other problems he was dealing with, which I'm sure did not help. So it is a damn shame he's leaving, but I got to agree, Undertaker putting him out, I mean, that's that's just a good way to do it, you know, if you got to do it. Yeah, and I do think Jake is starting to slide here because I think a lot of his time in WCW will be, um, he'll be explicitly uh, battling things, I think, more than he might have been at certain times. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think it is catching up with him, which is a, a shame, a tough life, as we know. And, yeah. you know, he had his share of uh, bad behavior as well that you can't necessarily blame on other things. But still, just a lot of stuff happened to Jake. And, um, yeah, you got to consider that. But what we know about Jake Roberts is he is capping off one of the most fantastic runs in wrestling history right now. Absolutely. I mean, when he started, we were kind of like, What's the big deal? But, like, over time, like, over feud, over feud, over feud, over interesting feud, some of the most interesting feuds in the WWF history, and he would often just do one after the other with Rick Rude, with Andre, with Rick Martel, here with uh, Undertaker, and everything he's done over the past six, seven, eight, nine months, just 
so much great stuff. So Jake definitely putting exclamation point here on a, a wonderful and a highly creative career that would really make his legend uh, forever. Like up to now he has an AEW job right now, I think because of all the great things he did in this run. That is something to think about that. And I think especially when it is psychology or when it's something that is so clearly the performer doing a thing and not just a company infusing them with something, mm. then through their ups and downs, through their trials, through time, you know that if you can get them at their best, they still have something always to offer. Yeah, I mean, and you've got to give Jake credit, I think, because you look around the WWF and nobody, not Hogan, not any top star, nobody was having, like, the number of consistently creative and interesting feuds that Jake Roberts had over these years, over his five, six years, he was in the WWF. Every time it was something, and it was so distinct, and it was incited so well, and it had some unique hook that you would not see anywhere else. So, yeah, just something truly special, I think, with Jake the Snake Roberts here. Yeah, and that's a forerunner thing, because when we get to the IC title match, the thing that hit me is... The world was always expecting the next Hulk Hogan to somehow look like Hulk Hogan. And that was never going to happen. Like, Lex Luger was never going to be Hulk Hogan. And Lex Luger's gimmick that was given to him was stale like a month after it was given to him. Mm. What was going to happen was Hulk Hogan was going to get stale and boring. And people were still going to like Hulk Hogan. But he was going to be stale and boring for so long that the way to beat him was not to become Hulk Hogan, but was to do things so fresh and so new and so different that it would shine the spotlight on how stale Hulk Hogan had become. And we're going to see that with Bret Hart, and we're going to see that with other people, and we've already been seeing it with Jake the Snake Roberts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, lest we forget the the famous story that uh, Jake will DDT Hogan at the height of his popularity, and, and the fans will actually cheer for it. So I think that tells you a lot about um, the alternative to Hulk Hogan and how uh, it's always kind of been hanging around and growing here. Yeah, and then like who who takes the reins for a year? It's Macho Man Randy Savage when he's in the height of just creativity and uniqueness, you know, and not like Hulk Hogan, not as tall as Hulk Hogan, not as big as Hulk Hogan, but like Jake the Snake Roberts, he has something internal that is different than anybody around him. Mm. Yeah, well said, well said. So here, one thing that makes me happy is for me to like a Jake Roberts match, Jake Roberts has to be the quicker of the two. (laughs) Well, he was definitely that here. I'll say I feel like you like this match a bit more than me. I I like the build a lot. I find it interesting. But the, the slowness and the shortness of the match and, I don't know, just the pacing seemed glacial at times, like, especially for how short they were going. It's not a bad match, um, but uh, it did feel make me feel a little disappointed in what we got here. I can definitely see that, especially with us knowing that why it's also happening, because Jake's right. on his way out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I love it for what they put together, not that it couldn't have been more. I had one moment where I was like, Undertaker is super slow, and I love him. But I still wonder how he got over in real time. And then the next thing he did was the flying clothesline. And I said, never mind. I know how he got over. Um, <laughs> and maybe I'm surprised I haven't seen the match in a long time. But Jake Roberts is going to pop a DDT and, like, you know, more than one time and have The Undertaker perhaps beat. So that was a little surprise for me because I haven't seen it in a while. 
and I think it makes sense because maybe not for I'm surprised they didn't squash him, so maybe that's why I like the match. Mm. But in the feud and the story, I feel like Jake Roberts thinks that he is so much more aged and advanced and experienced in the darkness that he can just do anything he wants to the Undertaker and pin him anytime he wants. And that will be his downfall, I think, in the matchup. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. I can see it for sure. Uh, he will definitely hit that DDT, I think, more than once, which is pretty yeah. pretty unheard of. Um, and at one point, Undertaker will sit up, I think, after getting that DDT. So they definitely went went high in on the Undertaker here for him to be able to come up from uh, what at that time was really just like a kill move, practically. So um, in addition to those flying clotheslines, I think... You have to appreciate that they recognized Undertaker enough that they're like, okay, well, we're going to have you sit up after the DDT. Man, when you are good at no-selling, and believe me, there is good and there is bad at no-selling. When you are good at it, man, that can just get over so big. You see it with the Road Warriors. You see it with Goldberg. Guys who just seem invincible, they can be very badass, so, like, certainly I think there was an element of that here with The Undertaker. Yeah, and there's a small thing in this match that I love that is expanded upon a hundredfold in Piper and Brett, and it's very literary. So if you read literary fiction versus popular fiction, the one difference is there's never going to be a concrete ending. It's going to give you some events, some personality, but then it's going to uh, do something at the end where maybe it tied it up this way or maybe you could see it that way, but there's still some ongoingness because life is ongoing type thing. And what I see in both of these matches, if I'm a Jake Roberts fan, he had The Undertaker beat more than one time. If I'm an Undertaker fan, no, he didn't have the Undertaker beat. Undertaker sits up. He's a dead man. Just because he didn't pin him, Undertaker set up on his own time. If I'm a Roddy Piper fan, like he could have got Bret Hart at any time, and we'll get into that. That that match is freaking genius, and we'll get into that. But if I'm a Bret Hart fan, I have a completely different argument. You can see it all from different sides, and that is a hard thing to pull off, where you can credibly see it from both sides, but you also have a clear winner. Yeah, no, that's great, and I think it's a wonderful way to put over somebody new. I was just thinking, especially kind of in the first um, uh, three matches here, really, boom, 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 you have a big star of previous years putting over somebody who's going to be the future of this company. I mean, we talked before about Shawn Michaels, Undertaker, Bret Hart. These three guys are going to be like pillars of the company, uh, basically holding it up until Steve Austin like kind of rescues it. Uh, not that they did a bad job or anything. It's just going to be the way things go. But, man, they're really going to hold up the company for about five years here. And here they are getting a win, getting a win, getting a win. And it's great. And even more so because it feels very natural. I feel like in certain times of the, of the WWE, uh, maybe more recent times, they would have to be very performative about this. They'd be shouting about, like, oh, it is the moment of passing the torch. 
Or like, mm. oh, coincidentally, all the young guys fought all the old guys. Oh, and they'd be like, they would really draw your attention to it, and they would be like very performative and explicit about it. And I am not so much into that. So I love the way it is done here. It is not explicitly part of the narrative. Yet when you sit back, you can see, hey, these three guys are really coming up here. They're going to be major forces that everyone has to deal with. That is so beautiful and so astute because I've been talking about them together for weeks now, and I did not realize until you said it that they wrestled back to back to back and they defeated somebody historic in the in the former era. So, yeah. oh, man, that is – and I think I both agree that at this time they weren't so explicit as they are sometimes in the future, but also did they even know – for sure, mm. that the next three guys were going to be the next three guys. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point as well. You have to think they did to some extent, because look at the names that these guys are going over. Okay, Tito, maybe not that so much, but like to go over Jake Roberts here, to put him out of the company, regardless of circumstances, to go over Roddy Piper, to go over Roddy Piper, who the hell has gone over Roddy Piper? Like, clearly, there is some idea that these guys... Maybe, you know, I don't know if they knew, like, these are going to be our main guys, but they knew, like, these are going to be major guys, and they're making it happen, and they're doing it in a way that feels very natural, and I really appreciate that. Yeah, I think Bret Hart is made-made at this point, like, in, yeah. in their minds, and I think Undertaker is headed that way, and I think Sean, because it's earlier, like, his is, I think, more of a temporary push that is going to find its way to another push that's going to find its way. You know, so they're at different stages on that path, but they are all on that path in some kind of sequence. Yeah, and even with Michaels, I mean, I think they know he's going to be Intercontinental Champion. You know, they, they mentioned it already. They kind of, like, already dropped the, the word on that. So I think they already know that he's going to be significant as well, although maybe not as much as he actually will be. If I'm, unless I'm misremembering, I think Brett said they were going to do Brett and Sean at SummerSlam, but then they wanted to sell out that big arena so they switched to bulldog mm -hmm. so i wonder if that's what they were building to at this time yeah i wonder i definitely could have seen sean beating brett uh at SummerSlam or something and then brett again you know will just elevate to the main event and sean you know will follow him there so we will see brett and sean at survivor series this year so yeah. you know there's a lot of big stuff happening and never forget that not only are they following one another, but they're also really good friends backstage at the time. <laughs> Is that true? Or are you being sarcastic? No, they were they were very good friends because they were both oh, kind of God. in the movement of let's elevate like people our size and let's kind of break this wall. Man, that's incredible and a little bit sad. So, yeah. all right. Okay. Sean, I think is maybe going to change a lot and Brett will never change. So let's <laughs> just keep an eye on that and, and everything that means. That is perfectly said. Oh, man. Yes. Oh, God. So how brave, though, is Jake Roberts to take the tombstone pile driver on the outside from a greenhorn who hurt Hulk Hogan only months ago in the ring with a tombstone, Mr. Miz fan? Oh, my God. Whatever Jake is dealing with in his personal life, uh, it's nothing compared to the um, Hulk Hogan-flavored Kool-Aid that Hulk Hogan himself is drinking. You know... It, it's a bit of a shame we're doing kind of the staggered release, so it's a little harder to have these real-time conversations in the forums, uh, which yeah. is a shame. But I do want to talk about 
our prof in particular making a wonderful post. I think just just yesterday at the time of us recording this, and sometime back when you actually hear it. Um, but just talking about Hulk Hogan's reactions at this time, and kind of like the tantrums, and like kind of the feeling of adult shame that you could see in him, and just as we've talked about, like Hulk Hogan makes no sense in this era, and yet. I don't know. The more I look at it, the more I feel like this is Hulk Hogan who clearly knows that things are not working because he's making all these 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 messes backstage. But I don't think I still don't think he really knows why things are not working. So if you want to like blame the Undertaker, you could try. But then yeah, look at look at the way Jake Roberts will work with him here and just just think twice about this foolish narrative that Hogan apparently was trying to spread at the time because, yeah, never did Jake look safer, I think, than in the hands of The Undertaker here. Yeah, and that's where I was going to. Number one, I'm glad you said that because I love the forums and we have to do, because of our schedules in life, we have to do things how we're doing it. But the hard thing is we are going to be having different conversations at different times because of the staggered release. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, um, I think that's where I was going to in that there's no greater um, or severe claim you can put on someone than that, than they, that they hurt other guys. Yeah. And Hulk Hogan made a stink about it. Like, other people hurt him in the back making that. And the fact that Jake Roberts is taking the tombstone on the outside kind of tells you what people thought about some of his claims at this time in his career. <laughs> yeah, and rightfully so. I mean, certainly uh, I've not seen anything to support this ludicrous thing. I mean, it's it's ridiculous on its face, as we talked about at the time. You can't say he dropped you on your head when there's video evidence of him not dropping you on your head. So, you know, it's just ridiculous. And I think with the Hulk Hogan character we've been talking about, Bruce Pritchard just was talking about when Hogan turned heel and how WWF realized in retrospect, like, you know, we should have done that a long time ago and we didn't do it. You know, and we thought that Hogan had to be something else and it turned out we were wrong. And so he says... Um, Hulk and Vince saw Hulk Hogan in the real American character as beyond reproach. You mm. couldn't fuck with that formula, and it was proven wrong. Yeah, yeah, and amazing for him to say that, but I guess at some point history will, like, force you to uh, admit some truths, so that's interesting in and of itself. But I don't just with Hogan's behavior, I really want to look at it because I feel like there's this weird but very close similarity to his behavior on screen and off screen at this time because off screen he is like <sighs> so on screen he is he is like complaining about things which are not real and he is like making up narratives and he's really just doing the same backstage and it feels like both on and off screen he's just not really understanding what is not working at this time and it's wild because I think you and I would have to agree Hulk Hogan generally had a very good instinct for like yeah. what would work and what would not work. So I don't know. We're just seeing like some, some hubris, some delusions of grandeur, something, I don't know, but he seems to be like off the deep end at this point. I'm so mad at myself because for three weeks, I think or more, I've wanted to do my religious parallel, but I can never get time. Um, Take the to, time. To, uh, I got to prep it. And cause I don't even know what it's going to say till I prep it, but like I was going <laughs> to do it on this one. And I, I told you off air, like, I was vomiting last night. I had migraines to the point, and I, right now I still feel it. Damn, um, Papa Shango. But, man, um, I think the word's right there, beyond reproach. Like, once you settle in your mind that this, this formula is the formula, yeah. and it's beyond reproach, and like you said, 
all your arguments from the other week, I'm seeing them now, but almost turned the other way in that, yes, he behaved the same way all the time, and the fans always cheered it. So it's be, that's worse beyond reproach. Like, that, that, that that's such – where do you hear that? Like, I, I heard that in church. Like, Jesus, the whole thing was that, like, he walked on earth. And all right, I'll just let me just try to do this real quick. It won't be what I wanted it to be, but nothing in life is. Uh, when we decided that we were coming back to the Legacy series, I just had a random thought. Um, uh, first of all, we'll go real quick to David, who says, "Yea, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me." So it's not because of David; it's because Thou art with me that He will fear no evil in the time of the shadow of death. And then I think about Jesus. David was a type of Jesus. Jesus in scripture was the son of God who came to earth to be a man. And so when he's getting ready to go to the cross and die, he says that all of those that you gave me, talking about his disciples, I have kept them except for Judas, who is going to betray him. And when I think about Hulk Hogan, this mythological character that they call the immortal Hulk Hogan, and you think about all of the places he's walked through and everything that he's done and what he did for, for pro wrestling, and you think about who was with him. At first, you think about the Hulkamaniacs because that's who he always talks about. But if Jesus in this analogy is the Son of God, who is thou art with me? Who is the Father? That's Vincent K. McMahon. And so... It's weird to think that as long as Jesus did everything that the Father said, you didn't even have to see the Father because Jesus embodied it. But what would have happened if he went his own way? Or what would have happened if he said, I am ready to go to the cross and I delivered six of the disciples, but I lost the other six somewhere along the way? <laughs> so what happens when Hulk Hogan is no longer? He can't say anymore, I have kept all the Hulkamaniacs. I have kept all the ratings. I have kept all the attendance. And I think somewhere the father and the son who were unified because of the promises kept, you start to see them as two different figures. And Vince McMahon's got to be thinking somewhere in his brain, I've got to move on from this guy. But I also got to keep him because I don't know what I'm going to do. And Hulk Hogan's got to get to Hollywood. And back in the day, they were so one that they stayed up all night in a hotel and wrote a script together because <laughs> if Hulk Hogan goes to Hollywood, WWF goes to Hollywood. But now we got a Hulk Hogan who's trying to run away from a failing WWF, I think, to go to Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And we got a Vince McMahon who's trying to move on but not go, move on. So it just hit me in that moment that Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon were one. We never talk about Vince McMahon. We never think about Vince McMahon because the mission that Hulk Hogan went on was so perfect for so long that all was one. But I just thought about that idea that if Jesus, according to Scripture, had lost even one more than Judas, then everything was off. Because if he did everything he was supposed to do, he would always keep those who followed him. And I think we're in that moment where they know either Vince has failed or Hogan has failed or WWF might be failing. And 
I think both of them. I think we're getting two different things happening in the same time. It's like let's double down on everything we've ever done and secretly let's figure out how we can move on from each other, cast the blame on the other one and be successful ourselves. Yeah, wow. I mean, I don't know what that would have been if you prepped it, but that was a lot right there anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was fun. Wow. Just to get it, just get to on the other side of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's something. Puts me in mind of um, where Jesus uh, went on the cross, died, raised from the dead, all that stuff, and then instead of you know ascending back to heaven, what if he just stayed around and kept trying to top himself and top himself, and uh, what happens then? I don't oh, know. man, that's why I love you, because I, when I thought about this stuff, like I said, I hadn't even processed it, but just this morning when I thought about, oh, you didn't do the thing, the thought that came to me is like, like all Christian people of a certain stripe for thousands of years are like, even so, Lord, come quickly, even so, Lord, come quickly. Well, Hulk Hogan is going to come back, unlike Jesus so far, and he's going to do it in a year, and you're going to find out that maybe it's not always the best thing to do. <laughs> He'll never stop coming back. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Yeah. His skeleton will return to us. <laughs> <laughs> he gave, uh, away, gave away a lot of bread uh, at Passover to be his yeah. body. So, oh, boy. <laughs> Whew, he's got a lot of Judases, too, over the years. I think he lost a few more disciples than Jesus did. So. Yeah, he's got Brutus, and that's it. And that tells you. <laughs> like, But that's the thing. He kept the worst <laughs> one, Hogan. Oh, my God. Yeah. You don't you know, you got to move on from him. So there's a sadness in all of this in that I don't know if you're Hulk Hogan because Hulk Hogan will live forever, like in a felt sense. Like he is immortal until he's not. So in one way, I feel sorry for him and Vince in that this was never going to end pretty because they got so high that it was going to be ugly when they came down. But at the same time, you forget that if you read the the kind of literature of the 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 father son relationship, like in that context, like Jesus was taken out and tempted, like he fasted for 40 days and he was tempted in all these different manners. And like the whole thing is supposed to be that he was tempted and without sin. Whereas like what we've been saying on this show is that Hulk Hogan has been sinning and sinning and blaspheming and sinning and blaspheming and burning goodwill and burning goodwill and burning goodwill. And my God, what must it feel like to be so high, to burn so much will, to be like if like what a different thing the Gospels are. If it's like, oh, yeah. And then it turned out that he was like contradicting himself the whole time and was actually doing everything he said he wasn't. But this Hulk Hogan has caused this. And I both still feel sad for him, but I also see his fingerprints all over the damage. Absolutely. You have to think that Hogan has been so successful for so long that it must be hard for him to recognize, like, something that isn't working. Um, and, you know, not for nothing, because, like, he'll go to WCW and he'll, like, explode their business and, you know, he won't really change anything. Of course, he'll do Hollywood and that'll be some very good stuff. But I'm just watching now in 1999, I just watched the episode where he first comes back out in the red and yellow and the crowd is insane. They're mm. melting down. It's 1999, and, like, they couldn't be happier than to see red and yellow Hulk Hogan. And, you know, that'll wear off in time as well, of course, as we know. But, uh, you know, I've said, I think, before, like, there's a reason that 
they kept going back to this goose because it just kept out crapping out golden eggs, yeah. you know? And so when it craps out a few that aren't golden, um, you're probably not going to be like, oh, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I didn't feed the goose right. You probably go look at the goose's keeper and be like, this is all your fault, you know, you know? So yeah. <laughs> it's I wild. What a, what a life. I can't even imagine. To be immortal, you've got to not come back. <laughs> because you're right every time he'll come back he'll be received that way but then he's got to stay back and coming back and staying back is, are two different things at some point so true so true and I, I will just say really quick too you also think about the history is that Hulk Hogan I think really thought for a moment rightfully so that he might be able to transition to Hollywood off of the success that he had mm. but now I think he both wants to leave for Hollywood and kind of knows it's not also might not work out mm. so he would jump ship on Vince if he could and leave them for dead. And Vince would have left him for the ultimate warrior if it would have worked out. <laughs> so it's like they need they need each other, but they both know damn well that one of them is probably going to make the jump eventually. And one of them is going to fall in a pit. Mm. So that relationship to me is just so complicated. And even more so, I'm sure, because is this before or after Hogan goes on Arsenio and is like, yeah, he took steroids, you know? Yeah, I think we might be after it. I can't yeah, remember so, now. like, that can't right. help either, you know? Vince will be stuck for the next, uh, what, two years, I think. It's 94, I think, when he gets off. So he'll be he'll be embroiled in this mess. And I'll just say, like, what pressure to be hanging over you that you might go to jail? Like, I can't even do my regular like not that difficult job when i have like stress hanging over me so yeah. you know there's a lot of pressure going into both these guys here yeah and bk recently as of this recording did a wonderful analysis of how vince mcmahon kind of should have yes called yes. some kind of charge on this and not only did he break it down using his personal knowledge which is great but i have read elsewhere which goes with this vince mcmahon had already kind of made plans for other people because Vincent Mann has said to people that the government doesn't go after you in this public way without pinning something on you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he, what? Yeah. Linda McMahon will become like officially the president or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, I think Jerry Jarrett will be given yep. like kind of the reins and all this stuff. So yeah, there's like, <laughs> they knew like, if not for sure, then like very likely something bad could happen here. So, you know, they, they were really, thinking about it in a certain way and you can't blame him because yeah by all rights like it probably should have gone a different way yeah and it's this thing again though that hogan and vince are again pinned together by the same thing but vince has to be watching hogan that credibility like there's no way he watched that episode i turned off that arsenio hall segment because it was too cringe to watch and it was too obvious what hogan was trying to do so vince is watching the hulk hogan character lose its shine. Hulk Hogan is watching the WWF potentially lose its owner and lose its shine. You know, so again, they're, they're stuck together, but both of them, I think are looking for the exit before the other one sees it, <laughs> but also unwilling to separate if it means anything less than that. I was going to say before this night is out, we will see them make bedroom eyes at each other in a little interview. Segment, yes, we will. So. <laughs> yeah, a wild relationship. They are, it's a wild thing, and again, it blows my mind. While we're watching this, I know this history. I grew up in it, and you almost can't convince me that Hulk Hogan going away right now is going to be winning the world title in a year from now. Right, right. It does not feel that way, for sure. So we went off on that tangent. 
<laughs> all because uh, Undertaker Tombstone Jake, and uh, yeah. for that we we talked about all that. <laughs> Much respect for Jake Roberts again for taking that. Um, like you said, this could have been a better match, but at the same time, for where they were, for what was happening, it's a beautiful thing. Mm. I th- I'm like. In some eras, they would have just had Undertaker come out and shame Jake Roberts, and we don't get that here. No, not at all. Yeah. It's not a bad match. It's interesting. It's historic. You know, give it a watch, see what you think. So, um, definitely some stuff going on here. Undertaker now 2-0 and at WrestleMania, and uh, I wonder what will happen with that. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing because we're, we're, we're pre-streak, but we're also pre-body bag or um, – or casket because I I almost felt like Jake Roberts had to be leaving here like in a body bag at least. <laughs> he put he put Tito in a body bag, so yeah, it's in his fair. bag of tricks, you know, for sure. Yes. Okay, man, you said it, like this sequence, we go from the Undertaker just launching himself to another level to another Bret Hart Piper uh segment and then the Bret Hart Piper matchup, so this is a play on what's already happening, right? Piper says, I love your family, um, your mom. You were knee-high to a grasshopper. You weren't potty trained till 7, but, you know, everybody has their problems. And so he's kind of mocking him and kind of reminiscing at the same time. He pinches Bret Hart's cheek, and Bret Hart gets physical, pushing him off. And Piper says, here I am having a little fun, and you want to be a hero. Mm-hmm. It says a lot, because really when you break down this WrestleMania card... I feel like it is carried by Piper Brett and by Savage Flair. And, you know, there's, you know, Undertaker, Jake is interesting, but it kind of has its things. And Shawn Michaels is there, but it kind of has its things. But these two matches and stories, I think it just shows what I was talking about. When you have these great stories, because these, I think, are two of the greatest stories that have ever come into WrestleMania. I think it's two of the greatest matches also. So just having these two matches to kind of rest a hat on elevates this WrestleMania so much. And you just see part of that here because I dare you to find a better piece of character work than this, than this exchange between Piper and Brett here. I'm not saying it can't be done, but man, this is upper, upper, upper tier stuff because it's so layered. You have this relationship between them, which is so unique. It's almost like father to son, or at least like uncle to, to nephew or some kind of like real family bond. But you've Piper and he's sort of manipulating that. He's sort of uh, taking advantage of that. He's big timing Bret Hart. He's kind of shaming him at the same time. Like you said, it's all mixed up in like the good feelings of them being family and the bad feelings of the way Piper is acting. You have Bret Hart with just this perfect reaction to it which is so like subtle and straightforward and yet it works perfectly for the situation it never would have worked if he tried to like blow up back at piper or like kind of make this out to be something else it's just perfect piper is like pure wild chaotic energy here bret hart is nothing but order he's gonna put things in order whether piper likes it or not what an amazing story what an amazing clash of personalities like this is this is upper 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 tier stuff right here. Yeah, this is beautiful. I think back then especially because there was still more of a hierarchy and structure in the way people viewed things. Um, so like you said, if the, more times than not at this time, the father figure or the uncle figure is going to be a guiding light to the one coming up. Mm. You know, 
So when you see Roddy Piper looking like he's stepping into that role and then you slowly see, no, he also might be perverting it and manipulating him. Mm. If this was someone with a lesser idea of themselves, you already said earlier, Bret Hart will never change. And so Bret Hart is the wrong guy to try this with. He's going to make his name on being cool, on being concrete. So Piper is all over the place. He's laughing, then he's yelling. Bret Hart just simply says, I want to win back the IC title. You got it. I want it. Mm. I love how I wouldn't say Bret Hart is like unaffected by this because I think you can tell that he is on some level. And yet he is so we talk a lot about um, different elements of like fire and water and earth and all that stuff. And that's great. But I really think there is an element of chaos versus order. And this mm. match is like perfectly encapsulating it because Bret Hart simply will not let uh, his sense of order be disrupted by this. And that's Piper's greatest weapon is that he will get under your skin. He will make you crazy. He will make you make mistakes. He will make you kind of come to him and wrestle his game and fight his fight. And Bret Hart simply will not be drawn into it. I don't know if it's because he knows Piper's tricks or just because Bret Hart is like the most implacable man uh, that you could meet. But I don't know. Something about it is just tremendously compelling here. This is how great this is. Um, I think that Bret Hart was affected by it, and the hitman slash excellence of execution was not. Mm. Because in both promos, you watch Bret Hart's eyes at time, and they're looking all over the place. And I think if he could say, turn off the camera so I can pull you aside and be like, do you not like me anymore? Is there something going on with me? Then he would do it. But he quickly, he quickly comes out of that, because right now Bret Hart has one drive and one drive only, and it will carry him through his career. He wants to be the best there is the best there was and the best there ever will be. And if you put any other scenario against that, that straightforward path is going to win the day. And I think this is one of the great early portraits of that. And I think you can even compare this. Think five years ahead. What's going to be happening? Bret Hart versus Steve Austin. Steve Austin, not in exactly the same way, but he will be as disruptive as Piper is trying to be here. And, at that time, it will actually work, you know? It will disrupt Brett in such a way that he will never be the same. So comparing that to this, like, that is so fascinating to me. When people try to disrupt Bret Hart, I think there is nothing more interesting than that because he is so locked on the path, like you said, and whether it's Brett or it's this hitman character persona he can almost always shut it out he will continue on that path he will come through his family breaking up he will come through uh, people trying to crush him and, and his spot being taken away and all these things and he will be steadfast on that path and yet in the end he will be disrupted and man there's just something so I'm so excited about this Bret Hart stuff we're going to talk about the next five years and I'll be honest that's not something I expected I would be saying I always thought I was going to say it, but then every pay-per-view that went by, I thought that I was an idiot you know, for thinking I was going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> and lo and behold, it is on the doorstep. And here's a weird thing that I, that I thought about when you said that is that uh, Bret Hart and Hulk Hogan are supposedly so different. And, and in many ways they are that Bret Hart's thought to be the remedy to Hulk Hogan. And yet one of the things we're going to see is that the training, the press, the vitamins, hulking up, coming back, that can never be budged. As long as it can't be budged, as long as the fans don't move past it and the industry don't move past it, Hulk Hogan is solid in that thing. And Bret Hart will be 
the excellence of execution. Other people will try to add on. Piper's trying to add something. Austin tries to add something. Bret Hart deconstructs. But yet, he's so cool. He's so calm. And what happens when the fans change their mind and the industry change their mind? While he's so different than Hulk Hogan, nobody that gets this kind of success for so long handles well when everything suddenly leaves them behind. It's so good. We've talked a lot about Bret Hart. Uh, being of the earth element is like slowly patiently making breaks to like build up the tower of his legend. And he will be so good at that. Yet we have not talked a lot about how the fact that I feel like he uses that same knowledge to disassemble other people who come up against him, both physically and perhaps even mentally, not that he's playing like a mind game, but like he will find the holes in their game and he will take advantage of them. And it will lead to so many great finishes and such so that's a great point like he is a guy who will never really waver from his role until he is forced out of it you know in 97 and that will be hugely interesting as well and there's a big parallel there to hulk hogan i think yeah it's an element of control too that in some ways you earn and number one like number two what does hogan and brett have in common is that they understand the business and care about the business like when i see brett hart on that lex luger uh doc that still hasn't been released saying i don't think that lex like the fans i'm not mad at bret hart if someone else said that i'd be like shut the fuck up okay <laughs> but bret hart lived what lex luger wouldn't bret hart lived this 24 7 and so think about this bret hart is great and we're about to have what i think is his first classic and i'm talking like literary level classic and i won't break that down but think about this Bret Hart would often always be the one that told the wrestler exactly how their match were going to go. He would sit down with people and tell them how the feud is going to go. So he's so well behaved and so different than Shawn Michaels. And in some ways, it's because at times he's a better person. But at other times, like, why would he be anything but a great person when he got his way in every single thing that he did? Like, he, he was so smart that he got ahead of everything. And, like, nobody else cared. Like, the British Bulldog didn't care if Bret Hart, like, constructed the matchup. You know, other people didn't care. But then when it all falls apart, it's it's almost worse because it's so sudden and so unexpected, and he just can't get on the other side of it. And we got got one of the most compelling uh, stories and changes that will ever happen inside of what we're we're starting right now. Yeah, no, that's brilliant stuff. I I will always hold up. Brett and Mr. Perfect at SummerSlam 91 as Brett's first singles yeah. classic. But this this is definitely a more uh, complex, layered narrative. It is a different kind of classic. It is definitely yeah. one that Bret Hart will excel at. Thank you for pointing that out because I'm definitely talking about – I'm talking about two things. Number one, in the early part of this match, I'm almost, I said I think they might be trying too hard and that the fans might not want what they want. And then somewhere halfway through the match – the match just elevates and expands. And then at the end of the match, I realize what they were saying before the match. And the whole thing comes full circle. And I see it for the thread. And my God, it, for people that don't think pro wrestling is like for people who are intelligent or people are stupid, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> this is as smart and beautiful and compelling as any other kind of storytelling that can be told. Yeah, absolutely so. And I have to praise the guys in the match because – when you talk about in wrestling, you're always working the crowd. And I think instead of like, there are a lot of bad ways to tell stories that we've experienced, especially I think maybe in the last 20, 25 years where you're trying to like 
trick the audience in kind of a stupid way or just trying to kind of like force the audience or maybe you want them to think oh now this is real or just like a lot of bad ways you can do this this is how i think two true masters work a crowd because you persuade them through the strength of what you're doing that what you're doing is the greatest thing and this crowd will absolutely be hooked on every piece of this by the end of the match that is truly how you masterfully work the crowd and that is just some beautiful stuff I love the word persuade there because that's why Bret Hart, I think, is so controlling because he's never going to be the guy that walked on the scene and everybody just bowed down and gave the keys to the kingdom. Like his whole career is one long persuasion that he is the best there is, the best there was and the best there ever will be. (laughs) He does everything he can to uh, set it down in plain terms that no one can argue with in the end. And you really have to see the whole argument to really uh, appreciate it. So Yep, the workmanship of Bret Hart is something that I appreciate more and more, without a doubt. Yes, I, I want to get I want to get at this in in the layers and the uh, uh, elements that it goes through. Number one, Piper is wearing a kilt, so mm. uh, I don't know if you remember when he um, visited Bret Hart with kilt in hand because he only fights when the, he only wears a kilt when he's gonna fight, and the kilt is on for WrestleMania eight. I think that tells you why he's wearing a kilt in almost like every interview he ever did, because he pretty much wants to fight all the time. So the fact that he did it then and he is now, yeah, that really does tell you something. That's a very nice layer. Yeah, so it starts out early uh, with a combination of kind of filling each other out. With the, they're always going to get spitting and slapping with Piper no matter what it seems like. But you're also getting uh, like trading arm drags. And then Bret, Bret Hart does a like running drop kick. He places his feet on the chest as specifically as Ric Flair would a chop. Mm, yeah. No, it's great. I love the way this escalates. I love the flavor of it. I love the way they work together even early on. Um, I, it's such a great dichotomy. I've talked about chaos and order and all this stuff, but it's also that Piper, I think, is pure fire as much as anybody could be this side of Randy Savage. And Brett, I mean, he's Earth, but, like, he's kind of an icy Earth, like... This fire, you know, just kind of washes over him. I don't think it can affect him, really, the way Piper wants it to, expects it to. you got to think that Piper was like, oh, I'm just going to mind game this guy. You know, I knew him when he was a kid, so, like, I have everything over him. I can just, like, put him out of his game, out of his element. I can just throw him for a loop, and then I'll just Piper my way to victory like usual. And none of that happens. And it's very interesting to watch as the match progresses and it doesn't go the way that I think Piper expected it would because he gets he gets mean here, but he will also have uh, kind of an unexpected drawback. So we will we will see some interesting stuff here. I love this idea of Bret Hart's icy earth because the only way you can handle that kind of terrain is if you grew up on it, Mm. you know. And Bret Hart's whole career will be inviting people onto that icy terrain so that they can fall down, so he can deconstruct them in some way, so he can clip a leg, so he can attack a gimmick. You know, so that is perfect. And like you said, here comes that nuance because I think Roddy Piper's a little arrogant because, yeah, I saw him as a kid and I can get the best of him, yet that itself is playing into the best thing that Bret Hart can do, which is be overlooked and then sneak up on you. Oh, absolutely. Piper went... 
charging onto that icy ground uh, with no fear, and uh, he should have been a little more careful, but it's just not in Piper's uh, ability to be careful, I think. Yeah, yeah. So the one, the one thing, I only got this at the end of the match, and maybe I'm just slow, but, you know, I, I so enjoyed the feud that I didn't realize that every single thing that happened is only based on one statement. Two weeks ago when we did the show, Roddy Piper said, I could have had you. He lifted the belt over the head. He could have hit Bret Hart in the head. I could have had you. Like, this entire angle and every single piece of the match is only built on when you strip it down, I could have had you. So, at their interview before the match starts, Bret Hart tries to reverse it. And he grabs Piper like he could have punched him. He's like, I could have had you. And Roddy Piper had already put something on his hand and said, no, you, no, you couldn't. So... If you take that thread through the entirety of the matchup, and then we can back up again. But this is where I realized, like, this is a classic in that literary style, in that storytelling style, is Roddy Piper, when the referee gets knocked down, will go get the bell. And he'll hold it up like he's going to hit Bret Hart. So if you're a Roddy Piper fan, you see right there, he could have had him, and he chose not to. But... Roddy Piper then puts the sleeper. Is there a greater way to have somebody than to put them in the sleeper? You're literally wrapped around them, and it's his finishing move. And Bret Hart will use Roddy Piper having him to beat Roddy Piper. So if you're a Bret Hart fan, Roddy Piper never could have had you. If you're a Roddy Piper fan, Roddy Piper could have had you. And, like, all of it is that thread going through the entirety of the thing. Yeah, no, I mean, this is a beautiful match. I think you really got to watch this because, yes, all through it, uh, both guys are so reactive. They are so um, playing into that idea. Like, they really want to each get the other. Early on, you have Brett. He does something he doesn't usually do. He tricks Piper by kind of faking that he's injured, and Mm -hmm. it puts Piper out of his game. And Piper usually would not care if his opponent was injured. So I think Brett is exposing that Piper does care more than he wants to let on. Piper kind of wanted to say at the start, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm really not going to hold back at all. I'm going to get you. You know, I could have had you like you said. But when the stakes are down, does he really feel that way? I think Brett is playing Piper as much as Piper expected to be playing Brett. And then it goes all through this. When Piper is tricked, he gets mean. He, he acts dirty. He busts Brett open. Brett is bleeding in this match. And then, as you say, like, the great finish. I love Piper. He's going to hit Brett with that ring bell. And he pulls back. He just can't do it. Why? Is it because he has this connection with Brett? Is because I like to think it's because Roddy Piper, I think we know Roddy Piper is a guy who hates other people very easily. So it's very easy for him to do terrible things to people because he hates them because of whatever happened to them between them. I don't think he can muster hate for Brett the way that he usually could. So he does pull back. He wants to win it in a different way with the sleeper. It's going to be a more meaningful win over Brett. And I think he knows that too. And then yes, just when Piper thinks he has Brett, Brett actually has him. So it's a beautiful match. I love the way it plays out from start to finish here. Yeah, man, you're so right too. With the layers like Brett Hart playing injured, like he's playing his own games. 
And then Piper will do Piper will hold the rope open for Brett, and you think he's gonna kick Brett when he goes to the rope, and he doesn't. So yeah. then Brett Hart ties his shoe because Piper just let him in the ring, and Piper uppercuts him in the face. So again, I could have had you, and like you said, it all builds to that sequence at the end, which is I think it's the beginning of this weird thing that I didn't even think about this layer of it that Bret Hart's whole job is to make you think you could have him and then to have him. Like, there's going to be so many matches that Bret Hart can't win unless you think you have him. Mm, yeah. And people should have just watched WrestleMania 8 to know better. <laughs> like you said, it will be a whole career of people underestimating Bret Hart through his size or, or his demeanor or, or, or anything. But uh, Bret Hart is going to come out on top so many times. There will be so many clever finishes out of this guy. you you got to show respect. It's some great stuff. And it's also, we have these ways of being beneath our persona and our mask and the character that we play and the person that we think is ourself. And I think family and friends, the way they love us also offends us. And the way they offend us, they're trying to love us. You know, so mm-hmm. I think when Roddy Piper won't be the same Roddy Piper with Bret Hart they would be with everybody else. That's an act of love that Bret Hart sees as an act of disrespect. Mm. Like, you pity me, and you're going to pay for it. And so there's just these layers upon layers and upon layers, and it's so good to me that even when Piper loses, I look at him and I see a man who's not happy that he lost and is also not disappointed that he lost. Mm. And to get Roddy Piper there, that's a hell of a thing by itself. Yeah, for sure. I think Piper acknowledges it as a fair loss, which I think he would rarely do for anybody. So, you know, you rarely have a loss to even acknowledge. So, yeah, I think we talked about the fact that he did put him over. I think pretty obviously this was his idea because I don't think Piper ever did a job that he wasn't, you know, satisfied with doing. Um, so, yeah, no, this is a classic. You know, if you don't watch this whole show, watch two matches, and this is one of them, because this, this is a real classic. This is fantastic stuff. One of my favorite matches, 1992. One of the best things the WWF will do right around this era, I think. Nah, oh, man, I love that you not only said watch this match, but you said watch two matches, because somewhere in my notes it says, because I started thinking I would not want to be the world title match to follow this IC title match. And then by the time I was done with that, I was like, the IC title match was everything that the IC title match can be and should be. And the world title match was everything that a world title match can be and should be. So good. I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, but first we got something even more beautiful because um, (laughs) following Bret Hart uh, is the man who will co-win the Royal Rumble with Bret Hart in two years. Uh, Bobby Heenan has a big surprise for Gorilla Monsoon. Uh, It is the WBF's. Lex Luger, a uh, man called the Total Package when he can, when he's in the WBF, but somehow can't be in uh, the WWF. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I never thought about that, but um, how bizarre. Oh man, this has got to be your moment, um, more or less. Yeah. So, so tell us about it. Okay, so number one, it's interesting. Bobby Heenan introduces him because Bobby Heenan will introduce him uh, in the launch of Vince McMahon's character, the Narcissist. Uh, later, so you got Bobby Heenan again doing this work. Bobby Heenan brought in the last former WCW world champion, Ric Flair, as well. Lex Luger is oddly two months off losing the world title to Sting, although it feels like it could have been a thousand years ago. 
Um, he's there to, I think eventually he, maybe he was going to compete in the WBF, but I can't remember where the, the, the motorcycle accident, if that was before or after, if that's soon to come. Um, he's also kind of the host, I think, a little bit. And then there's also the, the thing that contradicts that, that maybe they could, they had the no compete clause. And he couldn't come to WWF for a while, so they were going to do this before they brought him to WWF. So he's somewhere in that weird space in between. Uh, as a kid, I always loved this because I just marveled at Luger being with Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan. I'd only been watching for a year, but I knew Luger was a WCW guy. I saw his whole WCW title reign. I love that um, he compliments Bobby Heenan for the standard of excellence in broadcasting, and he says, I can't say the same for the fat guy sitting next to you. And Gorilla Monsoon hops out of, out of his seat and sells it perfectly. Um, not only is that an insult, but it's also bringing the conversation right back to the WBF because it's a guy who is obsessed with his body. Um, the thing that I always remember from this as a kid is that he says, you know, he's only been trained, unlike the WBF stars, he's been training a week and a half, but a few days off the Snickers bars. And then he takes his shirt off and you get the total package like Fluger. He also names all the big bodybuilding body parts. And Gorilla Monsoon can't help but compliment him, says at least he knows the parts. Because, my God, that's Gorilla Monsoon's <laughs> bread and butter right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I also think it's great that when Lex Luger goes away and you think the segment's over, Gorilla Monsoon adds, I hope he knows more about bodybuilding than he does judging broadcast talent. <laughs> <laughs> That is also pure Gorilla Monsoon. So, <laughs> man, I think, I'm sorry, I think the reason he didn't get pushed to the WWF properly is because he uh, called Gorilla Monsoon fat here. I feel like that, I feel like you're not supposed to do that. I don't know. Feels wrong. So. Yeah. I hope that was set up between them because it <laughs> felt like to me, here's one thing that I have learned. You learn the hard way when you listen to shoot interviews. Like the guys that you like might be the best guys and they might be the worst guys. Hmm. What I've heard about Bobby Heenan and the Gorilla Monsoon is that they so often went out of their way to help the newest person in. Yeah. Right. Gorilla Monsoon helped Jim Ross when everybody hated Jim Ross. Bobby Heenan, I just told you about Bobby Heenan and Slick, which Bobby Heenan had no reason to do that other than he saw talent in Slick and he was a decent guy in that way, you know. And I could be completely wrong. When I was a kid, I watched this for Lex Luger, who's my favorite wrestler. When I watched this the other night, I thought, my God, both of them are doing everything they can to either put over the WBF or to put over Lex Luger. <laughs> I mean, probably both. Um, so, yeah, I'll just say I wish I wish Luger had been coming in to wrestle here uh, instead of do this all, this baloney. Um, yeah. Because you put him in a little bit earlier, and there's a whole lot of interesting matches that he could have been in. Um, plus, it wouldn't have been a waste of his time, like this WBF thing. But um, I will say this. I was just looking at the wiki for Lex Luger, and I've never, ever wanted to watch the w WBF before, but let me read this. Heenan and Luger formed an alliance in the WBF, similar to Heenan's alliance with Ric Flair in the WWF, and now I really gotta wonder what that looks like, and um, I don't know, that's the first time I've ever been curious to watch this stupid bodybuilding thing. Yeah, man, I did not know that. I've never been interested in WBF. I stumbled upon a tug of war between WWF and WBF, and I left no more interested to watch WBF. Um, but that's fascinating. It also, 
Here's two little things that I will go into deep detail in a year. Number one, kids, the gimmicks that WWF gave Lex Luger didn't make him better. They made him worse. They stifled him, and that wasn't Lex Luger's fault. That was WWF's fault. That's a thing to remember a hundred times over. Because as you're saying this, I was thinking, oh, if Luger comes in now, like there's Flair, there's Savage, there's Warrior, there's you know all these guys, but he would have been the narcissist standing there, and like Luger's not home in those gimmicks, you know. So right. I don't even know if I would have enjoyed it or not. And then the other thing is, why did they not do a better job of connecting the fact that Bobby Heenan and Luger were together in the WBF to Bobby Heenan brings him into Narcissus to Lex Luger's babyface turn? Like Heenan tries to stop him on the uh, Intrepid and Luger pushes him. That's it. But like. That's not rich and that's not storied and that's not what you did for guys that you were pushing on that level before. Like, why can't you capture the fact that these guys have paired up more than one time and now this thing is happening? Well, sadly, after this, they're going to do a lot less with Bobby Heenan in general. So maybe that's part of the answer. I'll say, you know, it could have been a lot more, but I love that bit on the Intrepid. So I, I can't speak too much against it. Yeah, that was a good platform, but. You'll see for the most part that every time Luger is good, it's Lex Luger, yeah. and every time that he's not, it's gimmick, WWF gimmick. Because yeah. I think of another time we'll watch this a year from now, but you know, Bret Hart at WrestleMania 9 is getting ready to defend the world title. Yes, in a year, Bret Hart's going to be world champion, and Lex Luger's going like he's going to be at the press conference, and Lex Luger's going to run out and like knock him out with the forearm. <laughs> yeah. And like he's just he's dressed in street clothes, and it's Lex Luger, and it's not gimmick, and it's a nice little segment. Yeah, very nice, very nice. Um, so we will cover all that in the years to come, and uh, it will definitely be very interesting. And uh, hopefully, this is the last time we'll have to talk about um, the WB, the WBF. Man, I can't say that. So, <laughs> the WBF. Good God. All right. Yeah. So Luger is here, though. Warrior is going to be here. That, that's about as close as they'll cross over. I guess they're in WCW at the same time. And neither of them are really, you know, who they were, I right. guess. Um, somehow we're switching from that. I didn't even know this was at this part of the show, but now we're going to that eight-man tag. Uh, Mountie, Repo Man, Nasty Boys, Hacksaw, Slaughter, Virgil, and Boss Man, and we start uh, with the heels, who are doing the thing that four-person heels always do, which is talk over each other and laugh a lot. <laughs> I, just, I know I said this before, but I cannot mentally connect Smash to Repo Man to the mm. Blacktop Bully to all his other gimmicks. Like This guy is... I swear he's a different person every time, and none of those people are very interesting, so I don't have to tell you about that. Yeah, it's, it, it is what it is. Nasty boys feel at home here. The other two are just trying, I think, trying to act more like that. This is really the nasty the spirit of the nasty boys versus the spirit of Slaughter and Hacksaw with other people playing along. Yeah, what a waste of Big Boss Man and the Mountie, I'll just yeah. say, to be thrown in here. It is absolutely a waste. They're not even in the feud together, so they just happen to be here because neither of them are being used well. What a weird WrestleMania. Such weird people on here, but no Road Warriors, like we said. British Bulldog is not on this card. Um, just weird people missing, weird people included, so I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, Ray Combs from the Family Feud uh, introduces this, and he just rushes the heels the entire time. I assume that's why this match happened, right? Like yeah. a family feud tie-in, so I don't know. Weird. Yeah, they were promoting a week-long uh, WWF on. This is very WWF in the future in that regard. 
so this match is not the worst I ever saw, but it's just weird. I don't really know why it happens. Um, my favorite part was probably when they did the uh, Shawn Michaels has left the building bit yes. on commentary. I always appreciated that. That is so golden. And later on, it will be the Finkel or the ring announcer will just announce it to the whole arena. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I love that. So um, if you're watching, we want all listeners who want to listen to this show. So I say this um, understanding that. But if you don't know who wins this match, just turn just turn the podcast off. <laughs> I mean, I was very surprised that Virgil is the one who actually gets the pinfall. Uh, I would not have guessed that. I would have guessed yeah. Duggan for sure. But yes, if you don't know the baby faces win, then I don't know what to tell you. I don't think Slaughter and Hacksaw pin people. They they just if Virgil hadn't have pinned them, we would have the weapons would have came out and they and somehow the baby faces still would have won by disqualification. Uh, I just had this Arprof as well in the because um, he was praising I think Slaughter in the Rumble of '92 where Sid kind of like throws him with all the force of a feather and Slaughter like sells it like he got murdered and like falls yes. out of the ring. So I'll just say, poor Sergeant Slaughter. I feel like we will only see him at his worst. Uh, this is a guy who actually I think was a very good performer uh, at various times, and we will not really get the full aspect of that. But he always puts in effort, so I'll give Slaughter a little credit, and uh, I will just reminisce, or uh, I, will, I will be sad with him about the fact that he got stuck with Duggan here. I agree with that. Uh, he's clearly talented, but man... They cover him in a lot of goo that just doesn't do it for me. Yep. He was never meant to be on uh, Nick Jr. or whatever it is that he's on. <laughs> he could have been on on some on another channel, you know, but here he is. And somehow that nonsense sits between that IC title match and the WWF title match. <laughs> hey man, you gotta pee sometime, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's a big it's a big building. Yep. <laughs> Okay, so this is beautiful. We're moving into it, folks. I we, I left an IC title match that I don't think could have been better, and yet, my God, this world title match is going to be everything that was for this part of the card. It's Sean Mooney in the back. He's with Mr. Perfect and the heavyweight champion, the WWF champion, the real world's champion, Ric Flair. I'll just say, they look incredible. I think Ric Flair just aesthetically looks amazing all night, like before the match, during the match. After the match, he will have this, like, picturesque, like his hair will be standing up on every angle it looks like, and he'll have blood in it, and the look on his face, like, Flair, you, you, you can't, a lot of people maybe came over to WWF and sort of maybe half-assed it a little bit. Ric Flair, he put in, like, 150% effort, like more than he did in his last couple of WCW years. So that tells you a lot right there. I'm with you. I could not be higher on this match. And I think that Flair's best part may have been in the interview afterward. <laughs> Didn't he just look incredible? Like everything, the look, the delivery, man, Flair, uh, he's got his 89, which everyone knows is amazing. Then he had like 90, 91, which is like, eh. And now, yeah, he is just, killing it in 92 he's doing a wonderful job yeah i put that 92 93 and even early 94 before hogan sure you know for my personal fandom it's up there with the with the best of the of the 80s that we watched as well yeah absolutely and god knows there's a lot of 80s that uh we have not watched so maybe he surpasses it even more but god rick flair you know they they call him the best of all time for a good reason you know he's got some just incredibly good stuff at times yeah, he goes from antagonistic heel. He says they blew up the poster. Uh, 
perfect says they took out all the flaws. So they're being that kind of heel we talked about earlier. But what Flair continually does is every once in a while, he snaps into that NWA Flair, who is hype man and promoter along with that. And he says, ladies and gentlemen, it's WrestleMania 8. It's women lined up for for a block to take a shot at the champ and Mr. Perfect. So like now he's selling it, the majesty, the event. And it's that kind of feeling that when you're a fan fan, you're thinking, man, this guy is not going to lose because why would you hype something so big when you're about to go out there and lose the belt? But Ric Flair is capable of doing that. Oh, yeah. I think Ric Flair understood, as well as anyone ever in wrestling, that win or lose, you can come out like a megastar yeah. of any match. You know, so you've you got to give credit for that. You also got to give credit to WWF because everything that they do in the best of this stuff is perfect because we get Flair and Perfect doing all the stuff that they did. And then we go to Gene Erkland and all we get is a shut door because Randy Savage is not even open for an interview. Yeah, that's great. Great stuff. Once again, and we've commented on this on other shows, but it is incredible that the same company that produced Piper and Brett and this Savage and Flair thing will also be producing the Hogan, Sid, Shango warrior you know mess of garbage that we're gonna have at the end of this show so i don't know there, there's something if it, i don't know if it's different people or just some ideas are better than others or what i have no idea but it's amazing that these things can coexist yeah we'll get to it but it blows my mind sid was probably leaving and hogan was definitely leaving and hogan was definitely not at the best in his career but if you wanted to make them both look like a million bucks have them go out and replace them with a slow run from Papa Shango, uh, the magician, the voodoo master, and then the return of the ultimate warrior. Like, all they did at the end was say, you know that thing that we didn't like? Maybe we should have liked that. <laughs> if it would have saved us from what we got, I don't know, maybe. Yeah. I, we'll talk about it at the end. Uh, my yeah. question is, who does this benefit at the end? So we'll talk about that when we get there. Look forward to finding out. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, this is it, folks. No, two things right here. Uh, the the great listeners in the forums have pointed out, like we pointed out, that 91 and 92, just like 97, got a lot of NWA guys, a lot of WCW, a lot of that vibe. And the thing that I will overlap that with is – 97 begins the Attitude Error, and this matchup comes straight out of the Attitude Error. Oh, yeah. It's got a, a, a salacious element, so you've got that going on. It's got uh, blood, which apparently, allegedly, it wasn't even supposed to have, but you know what? It's much better for it. It's got yeah. that energy. It's got that kind of, like, gritty, little bit dirty feeling. Uh, it's great. You know, these two are so amazing together. This is legitimately one of my favorite WrestleMania matches ever. It's so good. It's very easy to see why these two will basically resurrect WCW's house show business all on their own without any help from, you know, Hulk Hogan or anybody down the line as well in just a few years. So some incredible good stuff between these two. Yeah, I have low-key been dreading this because... Mm. In my mind, I think so highly of this that I felt like somehow it was going to be a manifestation of my childhood and it couldn't live up to what I thought it was going to be. But it is everything that I thought it was going to be. And that is it's unruly. It's outside the boundaries. Uh, they fight outside the ring as much as they fight inside the ring. Perfect is in the ring. He's out of the ring. There's blood. There's that salaciousness you talked about. And again, 
just like everything else, when every single title match in the Attitude Era is like this, you start to roll your eyes. There's people coming down from the back. You know, there's uh, people in suits and ties trying to stop things. But when it's once in a while and when instead of it being the norm and it actually develops out of the feud. This again, it's just the thing I'm saying about how you get past Hulk Hogan and bodybuilders when it seems impossible to do. You do everything they can't and you do everything that people haven't seen or haven't seen lately. And when you start doing that and they're doing the same thing, you can't help but look at this and know it is a masterpiece for what it is and when it is in time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I am so glad this lived up to what you remembered, and uh, I think this will live up to what anybody thinks, because this, this is wonderful stuff. Like, this is just some of the best stuff that I think we will talk about in WWF, the Legacy Series. I It's like, I, I don't know if you can go through the IC title match or the world title match, especially the world title match. Go through this matchup and try to find out where they're out of tune or off sync or not in the moment or they're not hitting the right, right note at the right time. Mm, yeah, no, it's perfect. Like, Savage is exploding. He's on fire in every direction. Uh, Ric Flair, you know, <laughs> it's funny because he provoked this. He did it on purpose, and uh, I don't know if he regrets it or not, but he's a little bit like Piper in that he will follow this game plan to, like, uh, mess with the other guy, come hell or high water. And, you know, he's ready to try to take advantage with, like, every trick in the book, with every mistake that Savage might make because uh, he's kind of off the rails here. So it's so chaotic. It's so energetic. It is just top, top-notch stuff. <laughs> Yeah, there's no Liz at the beginning. It starts off halfway down the ramp. And my first thought was the only thing more uh, to character than Ric Flair getting beat up halfway down the ramp to start is Randy Savage beating up somebody halfway down the ramp. (laughs) Oh, they were well made for each other. Yeah. And Gorilla Monsoon immediately says, I warned you this whole thing could backfire. <laughs> he says it to Heenan, of course. So yeah. uh, he's chiding Heenan for the tactics of Camp Flair. And uh, I'll let you decide in the audience if that is the right thing or not. Yeah. Then there's this thing that I remember forever from my childhood. Because we didn't watch the pay per view, but a magazine came out. It had, the whole magazine almost was pictures of WrestleMania 8. And we looked at the magazine like we were watching a pay per view. Because that's how we ate it up. But. Flair throws Randy Savage over the top rope, and Randy Savage goes vertical upside down before he falls out on the floor. Mm, mm, yeah, no, so good. The physicality of this is incredible. And then Brick Flair brings him back in with that standing, holding vertical suplex. So that is it's a nice sequence. It's also that reminder that there's all these layers because if it was uh, I got you thing in the last matchup, this was what Gorilla Monsoon mentioned, either – Either Ric Flair has provoked Randy Savage to the point that Randy Savage is going to forget about the world title, or he's provoked him to the point that Savage is going to beat him up and win the title. So you got all of that, but then you remember when Flair starts beating up Randy Savage that Ric Flair can hurt somebody just as much as Randy Savage can hurt somebody. Oh, so he, he's, not, he's not just that trickster or that jokester that we're seeing. No, absolutely not. Very dangerous as well. So it, it, it's wonderful. And once again, of course, you got Bobby Heenan, who will live and die 
uh, many times through this match. You will have a, a Rumble-esque performance. You know, it's not the hour. It's not quite uh, on the same iconic level, but it's a wonderful showing. And Monsoon as well, as you mentioned, is also just needling him perfectly. Yeah, it's also not the same outcome, so that changes. Like, Bobby Ian says, get this chair out of my way. I need to stand up. I need room to move. And what made Royal Rumble so special is Bobby Heenan is supposed to behave like this and then it's supposed to all fall in on him. And it doesn't at the Royal Rumble, but it does at WrestleMania. Yeah. I don't know why. I guess so people can go through the table. Nowadays, everyone is always kind of like crammed at ringside, and that's like the only way to do it. But I love announced positions that are kind of like a ways off because, yeah, you have moments like where Heenan can like get up, move around, you know, do all these things. They have unique perspective, all these things. It's nice to have sometimes, I think. I've always preferred that. I think it's yeah. nonsensical. Like, if I'm an announcer and we want to pretend like there's some authenticity to this, like, Put me anywhere except at the apron where people are fighting all night. Like, <laughs> Not my that job they can't be the fun match. sometimes, yeah. but yeah, I get yeah. you. Oh, man. So, Brett Bled, and I said, if you know Brett, if Brett Bled, you know Ric Flair's bleeding. <laughs> if anyone's going to bleed, yeah, it's going to be me. So, ooh, I'll just say, you, maybe we're biased, but I, I, I thought the crowd was much hotter for this than they were for the main event. Like, the crowd is raucous for this. Like, Keenan and Monsoon are talking about, like, oh, we can barely even hear ourselves. We can barely even hear each other. And I I think they're probably about right. Like, the crowd was so into this. Yeah. I think in one way, being in the last match after all that card, you know, the fans are not going to be as excited. But I think consistently, like, Hogan's going to have a pop that's going to be sustained for a while. Sid's going to have a moment. But I think this is hotter. Yeah. Because it's hotter, though, at the same time. Like, maybe they prefer these guys, but maybe they don't. It's just better than what they're going to get because Hogan and Sid are having a basic Hulk Hogan storyline for the year number eight or six or whatever he's in. And this thing right here, like I said, this is fresh and unseen in this era of WWF and the fans are responding to it in kind. Yeah, it's more exciting. It's a much better story. Like, yeah, it's just, it's elevated in every way. I don't know how to say this because... I left the IC title match, and it's different context, so you can't even compare them, but I left it thinking this was perfectly executed. Like, they couldn't have done anything better. And yet, this is my favorite match, and it's not even close. Yeah. Because this this is not even a match. This is an experience. The way that Randy Savage wears 82 colors on his outfit, this matchup is 82 colors at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I... It, Somehow, this is even better. Like I said, it's one of my favorite WrestleMania matches ever. I think it's just about damn near perfect. It's it's wonderful stuff. It's back and forth again. Neither of these guys, they if they have the advantage, you have to watch them. Because Ric Flair is the dirtiest player in the game. He can hurt you and he can beat you quick. And Randy Savage might kill Ric Flair. <laughs> so there's no time to look away from the screen. Yeah. Mr. Perfect's great in this. Like he's gonna pull the referee out against something that I hate when it's done in every event in the Attitude Era. But like I, when it's done rare and in the context of this whole thing is falling apart and everybody's doing whatever they can, it works well. It absolutely does. Yeah, they they use every trick, but yet Savage will use a trick of his own and he will uh, pull the trunks to get the victory and he will win his second WWF Championship four years after gaining the first one he got so uh, that, that's great you gotta love that as a randy savage fan 
Yeah, it's a beautiful moment. And it, it is just after Liz comes down. And, like, how much yeah. better Liz not being there and then coming down with, like, suits and ties trying to block her. You know, again, Randy Savage is walking on one leg because he's been, like, put into that state. Yeah, he's swinging. He's swinging and punching on one leg. And you get the feeling that he can't beat Ric Flair now with the elbow. Like, he is beaten. And he doesn't. All it takes is a roll-up and no shame, a full like a full grip on the trunks and Randy Savage like you said is the new WWF champion and I think both times he's won the title even when I watch in retrospect I'm somehow shocked that he's again the WWF champion <laughs> yeah, it's the guy who was retired, a guy who in a year will basically be retired again, be uh, treated as too too ancient to do anything, and yet here he is triumphantly winning that championship, and he looks amazing doing it. And sadly, Vince McMahon, for whatever reason, doesn't you know honor his history uh, like he should. But I want to say something real quick: is like, who cared more about the company and had their finger on the pulse of the company because? Let's say the first 12 WrestleManias, in the first four years, in the fourth year, Randy Savage becomes WWF champion. In the eighth year, he becomes WWF champion. In the 12th year, Shawn Michaels wrestles Bret Hart. Well, Randy Savage, instead of being retired and put in the announcer booth, wanted to do two things. He wanted a program with Bret Hart where he put Bret Hart over, and he wanted to be retired by Shawn Michaels. So... You figure out if he should have went to the booth and been retired as an old man, or if he actually had his finger on the pulse of everything to come. Absolutely. I'm thinking about WrestleMania 9, and obviously you got to throw out the Hogan thing, because we know that's terrible no matter what. So let's throw that out. Never happened. Let's ignore it. If you had a choice, would you put on Yokozuna versus Brett, or would you put on Yokozuna versus Savage? In that main event, if they could have a true main event, free of Hogan. Mm. I think that if you can make the Savage Yoko feud work on a personal level, because even Bruce Pritchard said that the first Bret Hart title reign was was not really where he should have got it. So there's always time for Bret Hart to do something, and then Randy Savage can be part of it. So I feel like you've got to go Randy Savage and Yokozuna. Yeah, no, I think it would have been incredible. I, I They will actually wrestle, I think, on TV, uh, but it's not really treated kind of the same way that maybe you would have thought at WrestleMania it could have been. So, I don't know, maybe we'll check that out when we get close. I definitely am thinking of that as well. Um, so, I, I will try to remember at many WrestleManias to come, thinking about what Randy Savage could have, maybe should have been doing at that time. So, we'll see as we go along here. I think even playing into the age at that point would be maybe Hulk Hogan's gone. It's Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels are on the come up. Like, do you even deserve to be in this title matchup or are there better people? Mm. And, you know, are you too old? If you start teasing that then and then later you get Randy Savage versus Bret Hart and Randy Savage versus Shawn Michaels, then it's not just these amazing feuds and matches in the individuals, but then Hogan's not going to put over Bret. So Randy Savage on behalf of his era, is putting over the next era to come, which will never happen otherwise. Right, right, yeah. No, it's going to be a lot of interesting stuff to look at going forward here. Weirdly, as a kid, you talked about the uh, poster and what's it like to be uh, young and coming out of church. But I think the thing that traumatized me in this storyline was Randy Savage pulling the trunks and Ric Flair's bare ass 
Like, <laughs> right, you know, like in the face of Liz, right in the middle of that storyline. And then Flair's about to get aggressive and put his hands on her and kiss her. And then she's going to slap him and push him and knock him down. But for some reason, the minute Flair's trunks came down in, in the context with Liz being there, I knew there was nothing else that he, was, that he wasn't going to do. Like, he's already getting himself naked for whatever he was planning to do in the loss of this match. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, I don't even know what to say to that. That's beautiful. There's nothing. The, the, nothing should be said to that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, Liz, even though, I think, you know, she came out nice in that with her finally just, like, not hiding, not talking to Vince, but just kind of, you know, Savage can't be there. Savage's not there. And she just triumphs over Flair because Flair is not strong in what he's doing. Like, he, his whole story got unraveled. He got exposed. He lost his belt. Like everything went wrong. And then he gets pummeled by Liz at the end of the match to, to end this whole thing. Yeah. And yet I feel like Flair will not be losing out. You know, he will decline a bit in time, but uh, I don't know. He still feels as hot as anything. And maybe yes. it's because uh, after this, he and perfect will still beat up Savage. Maybe it's the great promo afterwards. Um, you know, I don't know, but it, it doesn't feel like Flair lost anything out of this. No, like I said, my favorite thing Flair did all night. I just called this a transform transformational matchup, but the favorite thing he did is after the match in the promo afterward. Oh, so, so good, so good. One thing I also noticed is Liz jumped almost out of her skin when the fireworks went off. So I'm wondering too if maybe she has a if she has a highly sensitive temperament, and that might explain a whole lot about her character. I think uh, I don't want to put a bad... Well, no, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> okay, we'll leave it there. All right. Uh, we'll go to the back. Oh, my God. Because I'm about to contradict everything I just said, and I know I'm doing it, and I'm doing it on purpose, because Ric Flair's not unraveled, but his... Uh, what are they? The executive consultant and the... I forgot what fancy names they have. They've been reduced... <laughs> to, like, junior high bullies who have just been exposed and not have a punch. Like, Bobby Heenan and uh, and Mr. Perfect are having a nervous breakdown. They're desperate. They're making excuses. And the one thing I caught that I had never seen before is Ric Flair is calm and stoic and breathing, and you can tell he's patiently waiting for them to stop talking because then he's about to, like, put them in their place. He's about to pick them up off the ground and restore them to what they were. And I made the Sam Malone comparison last time, but if you watch enough of cheers, if the bar is being threatened and Norm is freaking out and the others are freaking out, if Sam doesn't lose his composure, all will be right in that bar. It's impressive because Flair does all this uh, looking like he got electrocuted, like mm -hmm. he can't say enough, the way the hair looks and the blood in it and all that. He looks like a mess, and yet, yeah, he takes control of this situation. But I'll say what I love maybe even more than that is at the start of this promo, Bobby Heenan is not there, and he will, like, burst in partway through, and he'll be almost crying about what happened. And he basically ran down from what, like, they – the commentary position is like way up in the arena and he, he basically ran all the way down here to be part of this promo. And he really did that. So like, it's incredible stuff. Yeah. I love that touch. What a touch. We love that. The ongoingness is always our favorite thing. And there's been all these times where he's like, I should go down there 
And I thought, oh, man, I wish we live in a world where like he would actually be freaked out enough that he does. And then he actually does it. And I'm like, oh, my God, I wish I could stay in this era where people act because he would. He would not behave like that and be, then be like, well, I'm a broadcast journalist, so I'm going to stay in the booth. But, man, I'm freaking out right now. Oh, my God. His performance after this in the next match is one of my favorite things on this show. So. <laughs> yeah. And they're trying to console themselves and Ric Flair. So they're like, shut perfect. He's like, shut up, Mooney. He had a handful of trunks. Everybody saw it, Bobby Heenan saying. Uh, he had your tight. So, like, it's a desperate try to console either Flair or themselves. And Flair's just back there standing there. And it's, like, so odd because – you're not if you're not looking at it, you don't know it's coming. And then Flair just takes over and says, "What we have right now is a man who will walk around town claiming to be the real world's champion, claiming the love of that Jezebel Elizabeth. We don't cry over spilt milk. We reassemble the team. Savage, you did it once. Let's see you do it again. God, that is to be a heel sympathizer." Like, how few times you get to see a heel act like that. This man is what – I don't even know how many times he's world champion at this point. So he would not lose his mind, and yet you expect him to because he's a heel, and that's how they act, and they lose their mind all the time. Right. And yet the composure that he has tells me if I am someone trying to buy WWF pay-per-views, you just sold me on WrestleMania 8 because of Savage and Flair and – the great justification is like Savage did the thing. He settled it. And then, no, he didn't. And I already want to see what happens next. Mm, yeah, no, it's a wonderful promo. Watch it. If you're just watching, not the whole show, make sure you watch this promo after the match because it's, it's wonderful stuff. Yeah, even at the end, perfect. You know, it goes back to kind of making those digs. He says, like his old lady, he's a cheater. And Flair again says, we regroup. Where I go, they go. And you you wonder. It's the perfect pitch to Randy Savage who's coming up next because do you even get to enjoy your moment? Number one, did you go out there to win the title or, or did you go out to beat up Ric Flair? Well, Ric Flair is saying you didn't do either of them that well. Like, you didn't complete anything. <laughs> and, you know, he might as well have said, now over to you, Savage, because Savage already – he just won the belt. And before he can even celebrate, they do what they did to Liz. They do what they did to him. And then they talk that kind of talk in the back to so Savage. Is already put on the defense again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's masterful. So good. Okay, so Savage and Liz. Uh, Savage, this is how he's been with Jake Roberts. This is how he's been. He's been mumbling a lot lately to himself. He's been contradicting himself in ways that aren't contradictory. Um, he says, I just got a piece of you. You haven't been beat up properly. Um, you didn't think you couldn't make me matter, but you did. The impossible was made possible. Uh, at the end, he puts the belt on Liz and he says, um, take it and go. This is yours. And then he tears his shirt and exposes himself and says to Flair, this is yours. <laughs> Should probably be the other way, but, you know, it's uh, yeah. it is what it is. And, uh, yeah, here he is ripping off that bodysuit, which uh, yeah. I'll say if I had only one criticism of all of this is the fact that he wears that bodysuit all through the match and it's like a big gold one and it's got like huge tassels coming off of it and man what i wouldn't have given for him to at least like just have the pants or even return to the trunks but it's not to be so i was glad he ripped it off post-match uh it doesn't take away anything obviously but I i'll always appreciate trunks randy savage more than like full bodysuit randy savage <laughs> Yeah, and if you want to know whether to believe the lies of the WWF or Randy Savage to believe Savage, 
he's very very tan under that shirt so like <laughs> you know uh it, i think he'd be okay uh not wearing the shirt but i think it's uh we're already in we're already retiring him even as we're giving him the title yeah i suppose so okay so that beautiful beautiful thing is done we are Kind of halfway through the show, but also not really because there's nothing much to be said after this. Uh, <laughs> we go to highlights of Sid and Hogan. Uh, I will really quickly yeah. praise Sid uh, because you can't slap me because we're not in the same place, and I probably wouldn't blame you if you did. But like when I didn't know this part where Sid starts taking out the stretcher and like knocking people out on the stretcher and throwing them around, and like we're getting the introduction to Psycho Sid, and that that portion I like better, I think, than anything that they had been doing with him prior. I, I'll always admit the best thing Sid could do was kill a jobber. You know, that's about the yeah. only thing he could do well. So play to your strengths. And, yeah, the stretcher gimmick is actually good. So I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you a pass from the slap there. Whew. That was a tense moment, man. I didn't even <laughs> want to bring it up. So I'm glad that we got we got through that. Because um, uh, it just it, like it, I believe him in that being Psycho yeah. Sid. And they, all, they start calling him Psycho Sid. But I don't believe him as Sid Justice. I don't believe him as a referee. I don't believe him as the next Hulk Hogan. You know, I'm not a Sid fan, so I don't care really what they do with him. But in a way, this is the same thing as like Sluger, where it's like, oh, if you go to WWF, you get the best booking and the best gimmicks. And if you can't make it there, you can't make it anywhere. And half the time it's WWF as much as it's the person. And we just don't say that. <laughs> That's fair. I'll say over the course of not not just this series, but all the you know WCW Legacy series as well. Sid has climbed from being someone I would have called the worst wrestler of all time to a guy I will call a very bad wrestler who occasionally had his moments. So that's actually quite a bit of a climb. I don't know if that sounds, uh, but just some of the people he's passed up along the way, you know, I'll, I won't be entirely down on Sid, just like, you know, 98%. So that that's something. No, if people go back and listen to early WCW <laughs> Legacy Series, I would not have even brought up what I just said back then. <laughs> Oh, Sid. Oh, my God. I think what I really, I, I almost went the opposite way because I didn't never, I don't think I had feelings about Sid one way or the other. You know, somehow he was just always there and I didn't pay attention to him. But sometimes he has character moments and they might even be accidents where I find him charming. But his wrestling is somehow worse than I even imagined. And I never imagined him as anything but one of the worst wrestlers of all time. Oh, it's horrifying most of the time. Like, he will just stand there, look lost, he'll like look his head and look his head and look his head, and it's like, are you what, what are you trying to think of like your next move? Like you only have two moves, like is it hard to think of? So he'll do his offense, one. and most of it looks like he's trying to like tickle a baby, and people yeah. have to like try to make him not look terrible. So yeah, no, he's he's a horrifically bad wrestler, but um, he's the most delicate performer I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. They tell me he's different with a pair of scissors, but man, as, oh, as a wrestler, geez. no. <laughs> Even then, I, I can never. Did he stab first or did Arn? I, I, Arn got the. He broke in with a chair, so Arn got the scissors to defend himself. I think okay. Arn got a couple of stabs in, but Sid was on top of him and took the scissors and stabbed him like sixty-seven thousand times. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So that whole thing, and I don't know. Steroids will do something to you, I guess. But and Sid, yeah. I think Sid's a very nice man in a lot of ways. Like he really is. Uh, Probably. Like, I don't know. Did, There's a softball. I mean, break yeah, in there with a chair, so he can't be that nice. So yeah, that's true. That's also true. But just imagine Sid's face over you as he's murdering you. Oh my God! Yeah, no, his face is definitely one of his <laughs> best um, attributes. I, I just uh, he can kill a jobber good. He's big, all that. But yeah, I mean, just like his look, his aura, 
is absolutely what got him over, like, time yeah. and time again, even as he was, like, the worst performer in the company. But he's very lucky in a way, because, like, there, there was a time when all you had to do practically was just, like, have a look and kill a jobber. And, like, that was, like, 90% of your job as a wrestler. And then, you know, if you stuck it up on pay-per-view, well, oh, well, you know, like, it didn't matter that much. So, I don't know. I guess he was sort of lucky in a way. Yeah, he he's had his career far outpaces Luger. Like, he comes back to WWF and becomes at least a two-time world champion. Let's, let's um, not go that far. <laughs> I mean, if you're looking at, like, let's say that you don't have any favorites. And you're not judging by anything except for, like, who went further. And don't you think WWF's the peak of everything? Luger came in and won nothing. He wasn't a tag champion. He wasn't an IC champion. He wasn't a world champion. Sid is going to be more than one time a world champion during a time where WWF is at the beginning of one of its hottest runs of all time. Yeah, I mean, not, if you're just going yeah. by, like, WWF accomplishments, I suppose you'd have to put Sid above. But fortunately, we don't have to live in that world. So let's yeah. let's compare WCW runs for a moment, and then, yeah. then we'll talk about who had a better career. Absolutely. I'm definitely not saying I agree with it. <laughs> but it's just it's fascinating that if you are a Sid fan, like I'm a Lex Luger fan, you know, they're you got more, you got more in some ways to, to rest at night on than I do. <laughs> yeah, I've seen now and again, I see someone who really will go in hard for Sid. So, you know, more power to you. I don't really get it, but maybe I get it like 2%. I used to get it no percent. So that's yeah. something. We'll get into it. There's some interesting things to say in the title match or in the main event. Um, it's not necessarily an interesting match, but there's a few notes I want to pull out of it. And Sid, 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 Sid touched on something. We'll get to that later. Uh, Sean Mooney is with Rick Martell. He's got a lot of Tatanka jokes because it's 1992, and he's a heel. <laughs> Poor Rick Martell. He did all this great work. He got the push over Tito, and yet here he is in the same position. You know, yeah. So. Is it worse to be Rick Martell or Tito? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I love them both, so I, I can't speak badly against them. But, yeah, they are not the focus of the company uh, at all anymore. So... I just realized that Michaels wrestles both of them back-to-back pay-per-views. Oh, my God. Yeah, we're already at SummerSlam 92. Oh, man. Some people are not into that match. I remember really enjoying that match, so I'm going to have some fun stuff to say there. I don't remember the match because I probably haven't seen it since I was young, but like, I love the idea of it. At minimum, I love the idea of it. <laughs> it's fun. It's something different for sure, so we'll decide when we get there what we think of it, but... uh yeah, it's gonna be. I'm gonna be looking forward to it. So we got the debut of Tatanka taking on Rick Martel, and I feel like the Ultimate Warrior had to come back at the end of the night because I'm not sure if you can have Tatanka and the Warrior on the same show. <laughs> There's definitely some similarity there. I think Tatanka. Um, I don't know. I'm not into Tatanka, but I take him over the Warrior, I guess. So I'll just say that. I always saw a potential in Tatanka. Hmm. And I don't think he lived up to it. And like I said, I can never separate the fact that like he beats Lex Luger at SummerSlam 94 and they make the dumbest decision in the history of pro wrestling because of the Lex Luger choice and you only can make dumb ones. You know, looking at Luger, who's been stale for a long time as a babyface, and Tatanka, who is a babyface, and being like, why don't we keep Luger as a babyface and let Tatanka be the heel? And Tatanka can also beat him. Like, I got 
I will never forgive that event, so I can't really look at Tatanka in a fair way. I didn't even know that happened, so that's that's something interesting that we all yeah. have to look forward to. We will get into it. So right now, it's just this is just unfortunate. If Tatanka's, I understand in a way, if Tatanka is early and young, and they're trying to put him over, but like Rick Martel's not the guy to do this with. No, Rick Martel seems like he should have been a cut above. So you're gonna have to turn me on to what potential Tatanka had because I never really got much vibe out of him. But uh, I mean, we'll see. I don't, I'm not even saying like he, he's got the same gimmick as guys like Warrior. Like he just he's got like uh, sure. he, he he connects to something bigger, and then like he can't be hurt anymore. You know, yeah. so I could see like and he's gonna have a long like if you watched it in real time whether you liked him or not. And I was never a fan. He had the long run. Anytime anyone in the past had an undefeated streak, you knew you were supposed to take them seriously. <laughs> well, not come to anything, yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, yeah. I, this is not, not the a... worst match. It's an okay match. Like it's Rick Martel, so he's gonna do some good stuff. But uh, you know, it's just sort of there to put over Tatanka. And for whatever reason, Real Monson keeps calling Rick Martel Rick Flair, which is just an <laughs> accident. But it's just it it hits as even more that Rick, Rick Martel is nobody anymore. Uh, I'll say the best part of this match is he, of course, will return to the booth, but he will be distraught. He will be upset. Uh, Monsoon will be needling him, and we'll actually get Heaton in, like, a broken voice. be like, put him up! Put him up! Yes. And he's going to fight Gorilla Monsoon in the booth because Monsoon won't stop teasing him about what just happened. So that's 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 definitely the best part of this for me. Yes, his voice is gone, and he, he pairs put him up with a line before that, you're not going to make me upset. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely incredible. I love it. He's great. This is the authenticity we talk about, is because even when he gets into the match and you think he's off of it, now he's in a lighter voice, so you think he's just talking about the match, and he says about Tatanka, this guy's got a future if he learns how to pull trunks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the authenticity of it, like with all we've seen from Heenan, you know he's going to be hung up on this, so it's great, it's wonderful. It's also letting guys say the things that they want to say because I don't think yeah. this line would make it through if you're overthinking things. But Girl Monsoon says, "I'm just glad I was part of WrestleMania to see history made," and Bobby Heenan says, "I wish I never came to Indianapolis." <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, I don't know if it's this match or another one, but Heen says, uh, as far as I'm concerned, anytime you can stick it to somebody, it's okay. Monsoon says, oh, good. Well, you don't mind how Savage stuck it to Flair. <laughs> Heen says, I'd like to stick it to you. <laughs> great. I love that. Girl Monsoon, when he needles you, does it like he's the nicest man in the world, and it's just uglier for it. Yep, yep. He does it so, like, like he's just sitting back in his chair and just, like, saying something in normal conversation, but actually it's, like, a deadly insult, so. <laughs> yeah. And like Ms. Van said, it's not the worst match, but if you're like us, you're probably listening to the uh, announcing, and then there's a quick cross body, and it's kind of over before you knew it was over. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it's golden uh, if you're going to count your way through some of the things to come because next <laughs> up, oh, dear, this is the eight man of, the, of this side of the card for me. <laughs> uh, they're, they're probably about as, as bad as one as the other. Um, oh, man. Especially, so first, first it's going to be the title match, Money, Inc. and Natural Disasters. And I'm sorry, you're about to say something. No, we'll get to it, but I was going to say, especially how it ends, because if, if you already feel like you're wasting your time, then they just tell you, hey, guess what? You are wasting your time. You are really wasting your time. Oh, my God. So we're backstage, and man, if there's ever somebody who didn't need Jimmy Hart, it's Ted mm. DiBiase. 
So I don't know what the point of this pairing is. Plus, we, we know Jimmy Hart, like, changed lanes from the Natural Disasters to Money, Inc., and, like, helped the title switch hands, and that's got to be, like, almost Fuji-level logic of, like, ditching the champs you had for different people who may or may not become champs, so that's weird. I remember in the 80s saying, Jimmy Hart's not as bad as I thought. I thought I hated him. And, man, I don't know if the calendar turned 1990, but he has been on a run of... Back when Earthquake was wrestling Hogan, from there at least until now, every time I see him, it's like... when you have a migraine, like I had last night, slowly, you can't light, the tiniest bit of light blinds you. You can smell three or four smells in a room that you could not smell when you didn't have it, and all of them can make you vomit. That's what it feels like watching Jimmy Hart in every iteration with every single person he's been with for three or four years now. <laughs> uh, he's another guy who, uh, 80s Jimmy Hart, is, is pretty okay. You know, not one of the best yeah. managers, but pretty okay. But yeah, 90s Jimmy Hart is just... He'll cause the headaches, he'll cause the vomiting, he'll he'll do it all, and he'll get worse before we're done here. And like everybody else, we like what we like, and a lot of it overlaps, and I think we both want a human being to be home. And I think there was one in the 80s, but he is nothing but gimmicks and coats and hopping up and sat down and having a squeakier voice every time you hear him. Yeah, he's just a squealing, garish blob now, and <laughs> yeah, soon that blob will be red and yellow, and that'll be the worst of it, so... yeah. You wonder if he has to go through all these annoying phases to uh, to evolve to the point that he can be a part of the the worst run in wrestling in WWF with the Hogan Beefcake Jimmy Hart thing. Oh my God, it's gonna be bad. Um, I'll say this: like Money Inc. is a team that I was very excited to see when I first started kind of rewatching through this era, and maybe I'll be proven wrong as we go through a second time, but they are not very interesting. And it hurts as a Ted DiBiase fan to say that, but I think he is declining. I think Mike Rotunda is a fairly dull wrestler, and I don't think that they will have very many, like, good matches or good feuds. And it's a shame, because it feels like they should. Like, it's a good gimmick. I love Ted DiBiase, but man, like, I don't know. There's just not going to be a lot to say about Money, Inc. when all is said and done, I think. (sighs) Okay, um... This is where I remind listeners that we don't have conversations before the show because <laughs> I feel like you, you just took every word. Like, I was already saying in my heart before you started that speech, it hurts me to watch them. <laughs> and Teddy Biasi was great. Teddy Biasi, we, we, we said that WWF might not have even been worse for not getting Ric Flair because they had that Million Dollar Man character. That's how high he was. He influenced, he overcame Hulk Hogan in an era where you don't overcome Hulk Hogan. And I've heard Conrad lose his mind yelling in his gimmick with uh, Bruce Pritchard about like, oh man, you just stop pushing him altogether. And you might be able to make some point of that. And Ted DiBiase might be as good, but I do think it's a combination of things. I love Mike Rotundas. Mike Rotundas, so when I saw him at the start of the York Foundation, I think he would have took the York Foundation and it would have took him to a better place than he ever was. Mm-hmm. And man, Teddy Biasi, I think, still has great potential because even like his presence and his voice, but it really is. I am money and I am the government. <laughs> you know, they're close to that Jimmy Hart level right now, and they've yeah. been reduced and reduced and reduced to like, hey, Teddy Biasi, you also, you were the million dollar man, Teddy Biasi. Now you're a million dollar man. Right, yep. 
and then IRS for the love of God. But in my mind, when I think of Money Inc., I still have a soft spot, and I don't yeah. know what it is. But like I, like you said, every time I watch it, I've not seen it yet. I, they're a team you want to like, and I'll say with Mike Rotunda, he's also a guy I want to like, and he often lets me down. I don't know if he's phoning it in or what, but like he doesn't live up to that potential of what I kind of like think of him a lot of the time. So I don't know. Maybe we'll find the good Money Inc. stuff if we dig deep enough. But uh, at the very least, I think it's a disappointing run. Um, this match is nothing. You know, it's like, I don't even know what happened. They get counted out on purpose at the end, and, and that's the end. So that that's the match. And if you ask, like, why are you a heel sympathizer? Well, I grew up in a time where the natural disasters were heels, and I didn't even like them then. And then, like, five minutes later, like, I'm supposed to be cheering earthquake and typhoon. Right. They, they, they betrayed Hulk Hogan, so come on. <laughs> yeah, I can't, yeah, I can't, I can't do it. And then I can't like Money Inc. because, again, because they're both talented too. Yeah. You know, when I watch them, like even Teddy Biase, I love his voice, but like, don't write checks. Like, you don't have the finances to cover. And then, um, oh, it's tax time. Pay up the Money Inc. These are not <laughs> human beings speaking. Right. You know, and then the match, like pick promos or a match. I can't do both of them. Uh, then we'll get to like the, the ending is Money Inc. walks away from ringside. <laughs> yeah, like you said, just tells you like, oh, well, this is not important anyway. So why do we even put it on here? <laughs> this is the mystery of WrestleMania 8, which feels so good in felt sense. And yet you break apart the parts and it's like. It's probably more bad parts than good, so I don't know. It's a, it's a weird event, so I don't know how to think about it. Yeah, I just got a note in the middle of the page. I'm not into this boring. <laughs> That's all that needs to be said. That's enough on this match, I think, unless you have yeah. something else. No, the other thing was just when they were walking away... Like, I was like, oh, my God, that's why we got that two-hour promo from LOD, because they're about to walk them back to ringside, and then the thing's going to tie in together. No, they just walk away from ringside, and, and maybe the officials don't even care enough. They're like, yeah, let's, let's end this. That does sound like a good idea. <laughs> let's, let's, let's get it over with. Yeah, that, would be, <laughs> that would be fine. Okay, so then we go from that to Gene Oakland with one of the best friends of Hulk Hogan. And when last we left Brutus the Barber Beefcake, he was telling us that Hulk Hogan was lying next to him in bed, pumping blood into his heart. Now Gene Oakland says one of the best friends of Hulk Hogan, and he says, that might be an understatement. We've uh, been to the top, and we've been to the bottom. I've seen him down low, and I've seen him up high. Like, I don't know what I'm watching, but he really is the... Like, you lost all your disciples, and then you, you kept, one wouldn't go away, and he wasn't even in the original 12. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. Um, Bruce Beefcake is wearing, uh, like, half of his Zodiac costume here, mm. so I don't know what to make of that, except I guess he recycled some of his gear, so. Um, yeah, it's four. just him just praising Hulk Hogan, of course. Oh, he's he's such a giving man, so generous. I'm, I'm probably the number one Hulkamaniac, and, yeah, it really is the disciple who, like, wouldn't leave, so. Yeah. You turned me on to an idea that's so horrifying, but I, I now know it's true. I think if Hulk Hogan stayed around another year, he would have been mainly bidding a WWF pay-per-view against Beefcake. No doubt. They're setting up for it, practically, like as a back-end seed that they're planting here. So It's the desperate bottom of this journey because 
already he's lost everything and now he, you lose the thing that you know is impossible to lose it's amazing that what was Hulk Hogan's first like big betrayal angle it was Paul Orndorff who who just I think passed away this yep. week as we're recording this and uh very sad because as you know we love Paul Orndorff incredible incredible performer and they did so well off that and then they did Andre, and that was like a betrayal angle as well, and it was so good. And they did Savage, and that was also like a betrayal angle, and it was like, oh, so good. We should just have people betray Hulk Hogan. Who do we have? We have Typhoon. We have, like, they're going to set up Brutus Beefcake. We have Sid, who he was never friends with, and just, like, like they got somehow totally the wrong idea or just the right idea the laziest possible way, so... It's just incredible how we go from that amazing stuff in the 80s to, like, a series of just, like, pathetic betrayals that we will see going through the 90s with Hogan. Yeah, this is where the burned uh, goodwill, because his yeah. heel feuds and his face feuds are the same. Like, you just chronicled. <laughs> the face feuds are like, oh, I've been betrayed, but it's a shallow, naked version of what used to work. And then the heel versions is, oh, Zeus is taking it where nobody's ever taken it. Earthquakes taking it where nobody's ever taken it. Like no, they no, they haven't. And stop saying that. Earthquake <laughs> sat on him uh, with a move that he will eventually throw him off and like Hulk up when he does it. Yep. And Zeus, I think, did these 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 like downward chops to the to the shoulder blades or something and blocked the ring steps once. <laughs> the less we think of Zeus, the better. So yeah, let's just leave that aside. <laughs> okay, so. You would think maybe it's going to pick up a little bit because just before the main event, we have the Rocket Owen Hart going up against Skinner. So we might get some Owen Hart action, but this is a very short match where Skinner is going to kind of dominate. And then Owen's going to skin the cat and run up on him and hit a roll up. Yeah, this is like a one minute match. So highlights, Owen Hart is wearing his high energy gear and uh, at least the right guy won. That's all I got. Absolutely. And that is something because I could have seen Skinner going over. Uh, yeah, far too easily, so let's all be glad for that. Hey, Owen Hart also going to be elevated up there, although I think they really don't have any idea about that yet. Yeah, and then also, the rumor is he had to work the second half of the card because Brett didn't want him on the first half. Is that true? Oh my. No, but nothing I say about Brett Hart and Owen will be true from here until the end of their feud, but I will also kind of believe it, so <laughs> I'll just go ahead and put out that warning. All right. Oh, man. So Gene Arkland is with Sid, and I forgot until this very moment that Sid is with Harvey Whippleman. And easy to forget because uh, he's another manager who I don't really see any value in. Um, maybe I'll be proven wrong as we go along, but what a poor man's version of the great managers that we have seen before. Yeah, and then Gene Arkland tries to start the interview, and Sid says, No, shut up, you fat! And then just kind of loses his train of thought, so that just hangs for a while. And then, like, ball-headed little oaf. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my God. Uh, he says, he's the master, and Hulk Hogan is the learner. And yeah. uh, normal human beings might recognize student is the word he was looking for. <laughs> but uh, that's Sid, you know, half the brain that you do. Um, yeah. Here's where we see that clip, and I referred to it before, where a very soft-talking Vince McMahon will have a very soft conversation with Hulk Hogan about, oh, is this your last match? And Hogan, oh, well, he kind of, like, rambles on for a long time. He's like, well, I'll decide when it's my last match, and I'm not going to know until until it's time. And 
it's like, okay, well, I, I'm a I'm a huge Hulkamaniac, and I love mm-hmm. you, Hulk Hogan. And they, like, it's this weird segment. Like, they're trying to treat it very serious. I kind of get it, but it just struck me as so strange. Yeah, fans will recognize it as a tone that they use later when wrestlers die. Oof. Yeah, yeah. They're kind of treating this like, oh, if Hulk Hogan retires, it's like the most serious thing that we could think of. It's wild, because Hogan's going to leave. And like you said, it's like he's, like, running away practically from the WWF and uh, he's not even going to be there anymore. And yet they're giving him this whole treatment. Like, like they already know they're going to make him world champion again at WrestleMania nine. So it's very strange. Yeah. I feel like it's that uncertainty that they've never had in a way, because it's like, we're trying to prepare that this is the end of Hulk Hogan. And also it's not really, but maybe it is. And if it is, then this, and if it's not, then that, but you know, we don't know which ones so we don't really know which way to go. And you just have them, like, in this long, like, they're holding hands and looking at each other's eyes. And for the longest time, Hogan's got this little, I don't know if it's a smirk or a scowl or something on his face. His little smile, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, I remember this as a child, and, like, I don't say that lightly what I said. I It felt like, to me, like somebody had passed away. And I never enjoyed it, but, like, I felt traumatized almost by it because... <laughs> It was like this weird heaviness that you can't ignore. Like, oh, my God, this is super serious. Hulk Hogan's wearing black. And all I was talking about is he's going to go make movies. <laughs> you know, right. like, I don't understand. <laughs> like, to this day, I don't understand what they were trying to do. I don't know. It's odd, but I, I, I'll give some credit to it as well. You know, it was a, a weird segment. But, like, when these two guys started together, you know, Vince Jr. and, and Hulk Hogan, think of where they were then compared to where they are now. Like, these are two guys who built an empire together and who had just levels of success that both probably thought were unimaginable, you know, before they started together. So there is something like a end of an era feeling like an uncertainty about the future. They don't know what their success is going to be like without each other. They never had success without each other. In fact, you know, this is not a, a, a Vince McMahon who could say, oh, I beat the government, and, you know, I, I did the Attitude Era and all this stuff. No, all he's done is Hulkamania, this 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 era. So I think there probably is, like, some fear and uncertainty on both sides, and I assume that's what was bleeding through here. Uh, so even though the, the delivery is weird, I think there's maybe some kind of sincerity behind it. Yeah, I do too. And I, this is where every single thing, like... There's a there's this there's mixed emotions in all of it because again like I said earlier you don't see the father as long as the son is fully functioning right. and you don't see Vince McMahon until like it's all hands on deck and so Vince McMahon is also there's a lot of grown people even in in Hollywood and other places like I've seen people say to Vince McMahon like I watch WWF and like celebrities and stuff and I thought you were just an announcer so at the same time sure. all of what you said is true. But Vincent Mann is also just kind of that announcer on Saturday Night's main event. Now he's up there. He's play, He's performing as something that's not an announcer, but also as an announcer and not as the other thing. Right. So it's just, it's all over the place. And I don't think they fully knew. And it's weird because it's so muddied. But then <laughs> we go from that to something <laughs> that's not muddied at all. Sid has made up his mind about things. He comes back and says... Um, <laughs> Um, I don't give a damn about the memory of Hulk Hogan. I curse you. <laughs> what <laughs> this the is hell? How, this is how Sid climbed up that 2% because, uh, you know, he is so 
artless that at times he will just like clumsily blurt out things that I completely agree with. Like you yeah. say insults about like Brutus Beefcake or Hulk Hogan or something. And I'm like, Oh damn, Sid, you and I are on the same wavelength suddenly. So <laughs> it's wild because he has been defiant of Hulk Hogan. Like because of his gimmick, Sid justice and Hulk Hogan going away at this time. I wanted to say that that justice was served, but then when I saw the gimmick, I was like, the gimmick sucks and I can't pull that off. Right. But Later on in this matchup, he's going to do the same thing. He's going to talk to the camera, and we'll get to that when we get there. But, like, he really does have his finger on the pulse of, I think, all the nonsense of Hulkamania that, for some reason, for what now, 85, uh, for about seven years, every wrestler has been fooled by. And for some reason, Sid, of all people, he's seen through it the entire time. It reminds me of when Stevie Ray in WCW, who I never enjoyed as a wrestler, I never really had much time for him, when he became a commentator, he would just also sort of, like, suddenly say things that were so obviously true that, like, I couldn't help but appreciate that someone was there to just, like, not have a concept of, like, the politics of what he was saying, and he would just, like, straight talk you and maybe not even realize that's what he was doing. I feel like Sid occasionally taps into that, so I, I do have some appreciation for that, weird as it may be. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, Stevie Ray went from the, the other guy on Harlem Heat to the Vince Russo era being, like, the third best person in the company. <laughs> <laughs> Just for being a commentator. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, because he would say things that uh, actually made human sense and weren't, like, following some bizarre plan to, like, work shoot everybody. So, good stuff. Okay, so this is the final match, and Harvey Whippleman um, is... He doesn't even talk in this promo, so what is the <laughs> point of him? I guess he talks, like, before the match in the ring... But God, yeah. like, what is the point of Harvey Whippleman? I don't. What do you yeah. think of this guy? You must have sat, you must have sat with him for quite a number of years here. I don't hardly know anything about him, so you got to help me here. I've never seen anything in him as a child or an adult, but All right. he's also he's not going to be for me because he's another person who only exists to be like. Isn't it irritating that he exists? He's kind of little. Someone should beat him up. You know, and Fair that's enough. not that's not my thing. All right. But he also calls this WrestleMania. And he is introducing Sid. So it's like this super serious match, and then it's Harvey Whippleman as a sideshow somehow. They've already lost so much energy compared to the other main event, and they just continue to take the energy out of it. Mm, yeah. If I'd been there live, I definitely would have thought about leaving halfway through. So that, that'll tell you something as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, okay. <laughs> this you is ready? Hogan, like. For all this, I feel like Hogan just, like, beats up Sid immediately when this match starts. Even though Hogan is, like, walking out the door, he's still here to just, like, dominate Sid, who I guess is also leaving. So, I don't know what the point of any of this is. This is just, like, a match that never should have main evented. I don't even know if it should have happened. Like, both these guys should have been putting over somebody, but that's not going to happen. So, here we are. It's the great unsolvable riddle, because they are both leaving the company, and... Not only does Hulk Hogan get the main event and finish the show, but the announcers, both Gorilla and Bobby, put over Sid like he is the next thing in wrestling. Yeah, yeah. I, he didn't leave, like, the day of WrestleMania like some of these other guys did. So yeah. I don't, maybe they thought they could get him to stay or something. But then, like, he doesn't even win or anything. He doesn't even look very good. So, yeah, I don't know. It's all upside down. Like you said, he doesn't leave. He, he, he leaves. They put him against a warrior on house shows and he quits the company over it. <laughs> I 
I mean, I would too, so I don't blame him for that. Again, Sid, that 2%, you know, just saying, like, I would rather quit wrestling than wrestle the Warrior. Like, okay, suddenly I respect you a little more, Sid, so there you go. Yeah, it's just impossible because I've already said, like, I don't like, I didn't like him in his babyface run, but again, you brought him in to be the next Hulk Hogan. Right. It turns out Hulk Hogan's leaving, but Hulk Hogan's the babyface and Sid's the heel. So you're not going to end WrestleMania with Sid as a heel just beating Hulk Hogan. But you're also, if Hulk Hogan wins, he's leaving the company. So, again, I, I cannot, I can't get out of this circle no matter what I do. I don't know. It's it's baffling. Um, I don't know what you think about this match overall. I will say in, um, let me see, in about five years, Sid will wrestle The Undertaker in a match where allegedly he will crap his pants during the match. Oh, wow. And uh, I don't know. This match may stink worse than that one. So oh, wow. uh, I don't know why okay. I can tell you about that. It just makes no sense. Like the first thing I noted was Sid is bigger, leaner, and younger than Hulk Hogan. And Hulk Hogan looks very old next to him. Yeah. Yeah, that's the opposite of what we want people to think, I think, because even though Hogan's leaving, he's still our babyface closing the show, and Sid is still a heel. So like nothing good can come of that. Yeah, I mean, he'll kick out of the powerbomb, he'll hulk up, he'll do everything to Sid. Sid will not even matter in this match. Like, could have been a cardboard cutout for all Hogan treats him as anything. We get Hogan clearing the ring twice. We get a lot of Ultimate Warrior Hogan, like, stare downs, test of strength. And that's another piece. In the test of strength, Hogan never overpowers him because it's just not realistic. And, like, I see what Vince liked about Sid, but again, like... Hogan's our babyface, Sid is our heel, Hogan's leaving, Sid is staying, and like Sid overpowers him, I think, twice in, in the test of strength. Like, I, 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 I don't know what we're shooting for, and I don't know where we end up. So It's so bizarre. I love to Sid wants the test of strength, and Hogan has to, like, look up at God and, like, talk to him first <laughs> about it. So just, like, it's so bad. This is just awful. So, yeah. It's a horrible main event, even before the all-time almost as bad as WrestleMania 9 finish that we're going to have here. Yeah. Um, so real quick, we got... Again, this is the thing. Hogan was popular here and it was sustained, but some of Sid's... Sometimes Sid gets cheered in. I don't think I don't know if they even like him, but I think they just like him asserting himself because he's not cheered in this, but then he hits that one-hand choke slam and drops down and about 40% of the crowd starts cheering. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't know. Like, the reaction... Yeah, they pop for Hogan, they pop for Sid, but, like, just compare and contrast to the Savage Flair match, I feel like it's just so much more subdued here. Yeah. And it's, right, here's where I see it goes over to the camera and he says, do unto the man as he would do unto you, but do it first. <laughs> okay, then. Good job, Sid. In one way, that's, that's just maybe stupid Sid speak, but in another way... That is what Hulk Hogan has done to every friend that he's had up until this time. Yeah, that's true. And Sid has, Sid has been the one. Every time we had one of these feuds, I said, you know, if they could figure out Hulk Hogan's rhetoric, none of this would happen. And lo and behold, the man that figured it all out is the dumbest man that ever existed in wrestling. <laughs> and he's the smartest read of Hulk Hogan, I think, that we've seen to this date. I think um, he was so stupid that he couldn't be fooled. So. Yeah. Oh, man. Even Bobby Heenan says, like, he's handling Hulk Hogan, the immortal, like a child. Um, Sid gives a good, dumb look on his face, which he does well after the powerbomb and the kick out and the Hulk up. 
Oh my god. Oh. We get to the finish, and this is really just incredibly bad stuff. Like, everyone involved should have been fired anyway. So, Hogan will, will beat up Sid. He will hit the leg drop. And I think clearly, this is the story, and I feel like watching it really pans this out. Shango is supposed to be down there yeah. to break up the pin. Yeah. And he's just not there. And Sid will just kick out of the leg drop, and Harvey Whippleman will jump up on the apron, and the referee, poor guy, I didn't even notice who it was, will just call for a DQ for nothing. Like, nothing happens to cause a DQ. So we have Sid kicking out of the leg drop, we have the guy missing his... And when Shango runs down, he's, like, jogging down so, so late... And the DQ is from nowhere, and this is just like this is a shit show, man. This is embarrassing for everyone. Yeah, I would. Um, I don't like saying this because I like Shango in later parts of his career. Uh, I would have fired him the moment the show ended. Before he got to the back, he would have been fired because not only does he miss the cue, but then he gives the most obnoxious jog to ringside I have ever seen in my life. Like, there was, like, two or three cuts, like, iterations of him coming down to ringside. They could have finished their business and got out of the ring while he was still on his way out there and just ignored him if they wanted to. And, like, I honestly thought Lex Luger was challenging for the world title for how bullshit that DQ call was. Like, I only see shit like that when Luger's wrestling for the title. Because Whippleman, who is of no harm to anybody, comes in the ring, and Hogan, I think, grabs him, and the ref calls the DQ, because what can you do? Right. And none of that's the worst thing that happens on the show. <laughs> No, because, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Just the, the the music hits and like this half pint, stunted, like three four inch shorter, stupid haircut. <laughs> Ultimate Warrior runs down the ringside. He does no damage to nobody. Like, he's shaking the ropes and doing stuff. And Hogan has to pretty much clear the ring at the end while Warrior is in corners. And if you have any common sense, the thing that I saw at WrestleMania six and beyond is the thing I saw. Like, as long as Hogan's standing there and is the center of attention, Warrior can figure out, like, hold his arm up. The minute that Hogan walks away from Warrior at any point in his career, the ultimate Warrior looks scared and small and afraid and not knowing what he's supposed to do. God. Like, with all the people they have in this company, the four guys closing the show are Hogan and Sid, and they're not even going to be there, and then Shango and Warrior. I guess, what's the good part of Shango's career... Like, are you a big Godfather fan, or is it a comma Mustafa thing, or what? What's the good part here? I don't know if there's anything good, but like, I don't hate him the way that I sound like I'm going. Like, oh sure, I mean, this is probably his worst gimmick because it's this weird, like, low key, probably a little racist, you know, bizarre. Like, I'm a magic user. Uh, yeah. You know, it's 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 the worst. So yes, if you're saying at least the other stuff is not this bad, I'll agree with you there. <laughs> And just the fact that, like, I don't understand anybody getting a main event WrestleMania run in. And not only, I don't know how you missed your cue, but then, like, if I missed my cue somehow, and I overthink things, so I wouldn't, I would be booking at the ringside. Oh, yeah. Like, it's like the great revelation that this main event should not have been the main event, and there's no heat and none of it really matters. Like, is him jogging down the ringside. Like, that's the naked revelation of the whole thing. <laughs> I'm surprised Stupid Warrior didn't just, like, miss his cue and then run past Papa Shango and get to the ring before him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
was just thinking, God, if Warrior and Sid actually had to wrestle, like these are two guys, if you put them in a room and they thought the door was like push instead of pull, they would just starve in there, I think. Like they'd never get out. So I'm just going to say this, and I know I'll probably hear about it in the forums and everything, but, you know, whatever. Um, I would take WrestleMania 9's ending over WrestleMania 8. I wasn't going to say it, but I think I might agree with you. I don't know. WrestleMania 9 is, like, it's probably a lot more harmful, like, long term. So I don't know if I can say that for sure, but just, like, at least that went off the way it was supposed to. Like, certainly I think no WrestleMania ending was ever so nakedly botched the way this was just like embarrassingly messed up in ways that were not intended. So, you know, at least WrestleMania nine, they actually did what they meant to do, even if it was a stupid, terrible plan. And it ends with Yokozuna beating Hulk Hogan with, I think a leg drop. Oh, the storyline does or, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, There is that at least. So I have come to the uh, mindset and I feel bad if I was a Lex Luger fan and people were talking about, him the way I'm talking about Warrior, I wouldn't listen to the show anymore. But <laughs> I think Hulk Hogan, at his worst, I would take him. If I was running a company, I would take Hulk Hogan at his worst over the Ultimate Warrior at his best. Yeah, I agree. He is a he is illiterate to professional <laughs> wrestling, and he is he's been the heavyweight champion, and he is illiterate to professional wrestling. I can't imagine, especially Vince loving bodies. I don't know what happened to the warrior, but like the, his, him standing beside Hulk Hogan, he looks like he goes to Hogan's shoulder, and they used to like be face to face when they at WrestleMania six. <laughs> He's diminished somehow. It is really strange, yeah. you know. That's why everybody used to say there was like a new old, like the first one died, and there's a new one, you know. Yeah. So you can understand why they said that. So who knows? And he. Like, they're bringing him in to replace Hulk Hogan, who's leaving. Hulk Hogan will win the world title at the next uh, WrestleMania. Ultimate Warrior will not make it through a year before he has another controversial leaving on par with the last one. Yeah, it's good riddance, for God's sakes. I can't believe he'll come back again yeah. in 96. That is just absurd to me. And guess what kind of um, way he'll leave again? <laughs> I know, it's always the same with this guy. Why do they keep bringing him back? It's the same with Sid, too. Like, they'll bring him in, and he'll leave, and it'll always be, like, some stupid thing that he'll leave for. So, I don't know. They just keep going back to these guys. Meanwhile, the guys that, like, are loyal and want to be there, like, they'll never get anything. So, it's dumb. You can't explain any of it, because guys like Luger, Jarrett, Savage are just blackballed. But, like, Sid will fake injuries or quit on WWF at times when they need him to go play softball and everybody knows what he's doing. Ultimate Warrior will hold Vince McMahon up for money. He will lie about things like to skip shows, like things that you think would be unforgivable. And it's almost like the door is always open. Yeah. I don't get it, but I know that if I was Vince McMahon, number one, I don't have the constitution to handle the steroids. Got a trial, so more power to him to get through that. But (laughs) I would be just as uh, worried looking at the end of this WrestleMania because there doesn't need to be a steroids trial to think that this company might be on the hard slide down. (laughs) Uh, That's very true. And I'll just say, I think you probably also don't have the constitution to like push everyone to take steroids. Like, and and, like if their heart blows up and they're 45, you know, oh, well too bad. So I don't think you'd be in that position in the first place. (laughs) 
Vince is a maniac. I was I was listening to Stone Cold. He was in a car with Vince McMahon when he, he this is right after he was went from ringmaster to Stone Cold. So he didn't even know Vince McMahon, but they were going to tape a, a, a segment on a bridge. But they were locked out, like the gate was closed when it was not supposed to be. So they had to sit in the car, and like neither of them was talking, and he didn't know what to say to Vince because they're not friends, they don't know each other, and just silence, silence, silence. And then Vince looked at him and said, "You know, a promoter never wants a performer to know what they're worth." And that's all he said. And Austin didn't say anything, and it didn't know what in the world to say. <laughs> oh, the stories of Vince could could fill ten thousand books, probably. So I, I won't even start with all of that. Um, yeah. Oh my it's god. Just- it it's kills a great me that question, the show Mark. ends I, I, with Hogan yeah. and Warrior just like posing, and they just pose and pose and pose and pose and pose. And I thought I was at a WBF show, you know, <laughs> at the end of this. So Jesus, what a mess! Yeah, I might would take the WBF. I have to look into this Luger Heenan thing first, but <laughs> you know, tell me Hogan's, if it's yeah. something. You know, I'm just going off what Wiki said, so I claim no uh, knowledge of it firsthand. Just watch the Ultimate Warrior. They stand next to each other, and somehow he's always at Hogan's side. Mm. Like Hogan's never at his side; they're next to each other. But he's looking up at Hogan. He's like looking for cues. He doesn't know what the hell. If Hogan starts back posing, he starts back shaking the ropes. Like he never, in the history of me watching him, I don't think has led a segment. No, definitely not. All right, we're almost out of time. So unless you got more Warrior talk, I think uh, let's go ahead and wrap up here. All right. Yeah, I'm done. All right, that's plenty. So that's been WrestleMania 8, an event that we look on fondly somehow, although uh, not at the moment. Um, weird event. That's the, more than the sum of its parts. So check it out, or at least those two matches, Piper Brett, Savage Flair, some amazing stuff there. In two weeks, we'll be back. And Mystic, are we going to do a Road to SummerSlam show? Are we going to go right to the pay-per-view? If you think it's worthwhile, I'll let you make that choice. All right. I think we may do a Road 2 show, but I'll have to check and see what's there. So one way or another, we'll be back in two weeks with another show. Hope you will join us. I hope you enjoyed listening to the show. If you ever want to shout us out, I am on Twitter. I am at SpectralGent. Also, do join us in the forums, lpforums.com. Some really wonderful conversation. We have a thread there. Uh, More wrestling content at WrestlingHeadlines.com, our main page as well as all the great shows on LOP Radio. So check out all of those as well. That is all we have for you today. This WrestleMania 8 is now done and passed. We are going deeper into 1992. So until next time, Mystic, take us home. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. Climbing on the mountainside You know that no one else believed me How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya. He's the one that's scared. It's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya. He's the one that's scared. The undiscovered creature. The undiscovered.
one in books or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is, an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya, he's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya, he's the one that's scared The undiscovered stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features keep telling myself nothing to fear it's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya he's the one that's scared it's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya he's the one that